Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse, episode 379. I am Peter, and joining me, as always, is Matt. Yeah, three more days till Halloween. Silver Shamrock. I was going to say, you put the song on my head. Three more days yep. till Halloween, mm-hmm. Halloween, Halloween. That movie's overrated, though. It's 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 such a weird I, world that we live in because that used to be the disliked one because it didn't have Michael Myers, and uh-huh. it's went so hard in the other direction with a bunch of hipsters saying it's the best one. Yeah, that it's now overrated. I just want to, <laughs> and it might it might sound hipster for me to say this, but I was on that train before because I hadn't seen that movie until we recorded years ago. Now, all the Halloween movies. You know, up to that point, it was up to what Rob Zombies two, so, um, and I was like, I, I I really like this movie. It's weird. Now the amount of people, I'm just like, do you really like this or do you like saying that you like it? You know, <laughs> I don't doubt people like it, but by yeah. all means, love it. Tom Atkins' mustache mm-hmm. is a hell of a character, but I, yeah. I just, it's so praised, and some people are adamant it's the mm-hmm. best one. And I'm like, come on now, the original is a masterpiece. Yeah, let's, not, let's let's not pretend wild things I, here. I overvalue Halloween three a lot, right? But nothing touches that original, you know. Oh, uh, so, oof, people are weird. Yeah, that's what this comes yeah. down to. Um, oh yeah, it's, it's, uh, oh yeah. I was gonna say before we get to comics, I need to pick your brain on this, Pete. When, when it comes to Movie theaters wanting to throw in a, a intermission on a three hour and twenty six minute movie mm-hmm. to try to to try to get more people in the theater. Where where do you feel uh, fit in on this? Well, as long as it's built into the movie, so there's like a like is some is someone just hitting pause up in the projection booth? <laughs> I I don't know because apparently some movie theaters have uh, been running Killers of the Flower Moon. With an intermission, so much so that Apple and Paramount are are sending out like cease and desists, or I don't know if it's a cease and desist, but they're basically telling them not to, so it violates the terms of showing the movie. Um, I I am on this one where I, I get when there's like an intermission built in. However, what's keeping me from seeing Killers of the Flower Moon is a three hour and twenty six minute runtime, right? I'm just gonna stay sit and watch it at home, right? But I've come across many threads of people saying this value, this invalidates the creator's uh, intent by them throwing in an intermission where none was built in. And, you know, so it's added this little quagmire where I'm I'm on the audience side of things where I think if, if we're taking the creator's intent, I think we're being a little bit pretentious on things. Um, because... Like, when I watched No One Will Save You, th- there were some commercials in there, and that was on Hulu, right? I don't think that was the creator's intent, for them to be throwing ads in the middle of the movie, despite it going to streaming. So, does it only matter if it's in theaters, right? Like, where where's this at? Well, in theaters, you're paying a premium just for that movie, so it should be mm-hmm. presented as intentional and accurate as possible. And when you have a built-in intermission the creators know there's going to be an intermission and will mm-hmm. even perhaps structure it so there's, if, if not a cliffhanger, some kind of end of chapter feeling to the end of that mm-hmm. first half so that you feel, oh, I'm excited to see where this goes now after the 10-minute break or whatever it is. There is there is an intent there. 
Um, mm. And the difference between that and say you just pause in a movie at home because it's like, oh, I need to take a piss. You pause right. it. You have control of that. You do it when you want. Uh, there's no, mm. no whatever there. Uh, Scorsese's not going to show up to your door and be like, how do you pause my movie? Are we sure? Because the way that people are talking about it, man, he's like <laughs> become a boogeyman for cinema, right? Like, I, I get it. You, you know, I can comic book movies too much. He's going to kick your door in, you know, and tell you that you're not a fan of cinema anymore. Uh, Most of them are pretty bland now, though, to be fair. I don't. Here's the thing. I don't disagree with Scorsese, but Scorsese's a man. What, is he in his 80s? Oh, he right? must be now, yeah. He must be in his Yeah, case. like, again, why are we listening to Grandpa? Like, I get it. Of course he's not going to like the new things. It's just, it sucks that the, the things he's arguing against, he's not exactly wrong, you know? Yeah, because um, there's, there's truth in what he's saying. That's, what, that's why yeah. he's stirring things up. He's not just yeah. an old man yelling at clouds. Right. He's actually right. got some points in there that's making people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean... <sighs> It's a bit weird for movie theaters to just decide to put in their own intermission. Mm-hmm. Uh, strange. I've never heard of people doing that before. Mm-hmm. Um, I. It's one of those things where I think ultimately I would say they probably shouldn't, but I wouldn't be livid if I went to a three and a half hour movie and they paused it for 10 minutes. I'd be like, fair mm-hmm. enough, whatever. It's not exactly ruining things too much. Uh, right. Assuming they time it well in between two scenes and it's not just mid-sentence otherwise then right. i would be pissed right all right i just i just want to take your because you we all know you're a film snoop right Is that, yes. that's what your thing says so i like to pick your brain on this type of stuff um i tend to be more populist on things and so i feel like we're, we're in the same ballpark here but i just kept i kept seeing people bringing up the creator's intent and i'm just like uh it was driving me up the wall because it's like, well, where, where does that end? And not to do the slippery slope argument, though, but, like, if that's the case, why is it okay for networks to throw in commercials on, you know, you know, premiere, stuff like that? You know what I mean? Like, that's not what the creator ever intended when, you know, when they shot it for a theater release. No, but no, absolutely no one on earth is going to argue that watching a movie with commercials spliced in Mm-hmm. is the superior way of watching the oh, movie. No, a- it's absolutely. it's easily the worst option out of how to right. view a movie. Right, but I'm just saying, if you're going to bring up Crater's Intent, you have to also discuss that end as well, you know? Yeah, like, but when you go to see a movie in the theatres, you're paying for the Crater's Intent. You're paying for mm-hmm. the ap- the correct aspect ratio, the, the, the sound system it was designed for. You're paying for all those things. Mm-hmm. Uh Whereas when you watch a, TV, a movie on TV and it's split up by commercials, which is something I've not done in a long ass time, may I add? Yeah. Uh, well, and when I say TV, I'm also talking about on the streaming because a lot of these places, right? They offer the cheap the, versions now with the Well, not ads, even yeah. the cheap version because, like, even if I have on on my my Hulu without ads, I still got ads on that first run of No One Will Save You. So they're they're taking the option away that even if you're paying for this type of stuff, that sounds like a glitch to be honest. <laughs> rather than intent, yeah. I I I got commercials and I was not happy. Is that I I've heard of this with uh, the Paramount server, someone paying mm-hmm. for the no ad tier but getting ads constantly still yeah. and having to get it fixed. Yeah. So it, this may just be a glitch rather than like a well, intentional thing. Gotcha. Well, whatever it was, I just thought like, look, you know, if we're gonna like I. I value the theater experience. I get where they're coming from. However, I would be more inclined to go see Killers of Flower Moon in theaters if I knew I was going to get a break in between. Because once you start talking about trailers and everything, 
that that's over four hours you're sitting into that movie theater or just about you know yeah. the, the, the thing so, I just hear Matt is that these are two different discussions the creator's intent thing has absolutely nothing to do with how long the movie is it's purely about should someone else decide to put it right. in instead right uh, I'm saying I'm more akin like if I know that if I'm going to go see it which is why they're throwing in the intermission then I'm more akin to go see it, which I understand why the theater's doing it. I don't think they're trying to mess up Scorsese's vision or whatever. I think they're trying to get butts into seats, you know? Um, so, yeah, it's not like they're adding commercials as you're watching the movie. You know what I mean? They're just trying to make it... They're trying to accommodate more people. So, you know, it was just one of these things that it. I, I started to see more and more pop up this weekend, and I was just like, oh, my God. All right, I get it. Like you I know. say, it wouldn't anger me, but sticking to the strict letter of mm-hmm. whatever integrity we're talking about here, they shouldn't add one in that's not supposed to be there. Okay. Gotcha. So, <laughs> um, anyway, this is a DC Comics podcast. Matt yeah. decided to send us on a tangent before I even yeah. give the proper introduction to the show. Well, we... There'll be plenty of comic book talk today. There's too many books. Oh, there's a lot of books today, yeah. yeah. Uh, coming up on this week's show, we've got Detective Comics 1075, Action Comics 1058, Wonder Woman Issue 2, Amazon's Attack Issue 1, The Flash Issue 2, Green Arrow Issue 5, The Penguin Issue 3, Alan Scott Green Lantern Issue 1, Power Girl Issue 2, Unstoppable Doom Patrol Issue 7, and Tales of the Titans Issue 4. A lot of, that's like what 12 books i think it's <laughs> a lot of books um, yeah uh, not obviously not every book was read by both me and matt uh, there's a few that are only one or the other but uh uh but still a lot to get into today a lot to talk about uh and there's no news or anything like that but uh yeah we'll we'll get into everything it is uh effectively our halloween episode not that that really means anything uh, in the context of the show but it is halloween this coming tuesday so consider this your spectacular episode <laughs> i thought you were gonna say consider this your warning and i got very <laughs> i got very scared for a hot second no 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 this is just you know have, have some halloween fun read a spooky yeah. comic watch some horror movies or read read, read a horror movie like like tim suggested uh with his collection of horror adaptation comics uh, I mean, you could also, if you're feeling really uh, fancy, get get your hands mm-hmm. on a screenplay for a horror movie and read it that yeah. way if you really like. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, well, we'll get into everything fairly sharp because we do have a lot of books to talk about. But uh, we do have Matt's favorite segment of the show before we get to anything else, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is, of course, the Comicsology Top Ten. Yep. There's a lot to pick from this week, though. There's Especially a lot to Tuesday. Pick from. Yeah, yeah. So we'll Tuesday first. The top ten books mm-hmm. as of right now in Comicsology is Saturday time of recording. What do you think the number one book is from Tuesday? I'm going with Wonder Woman number two. That is correct. Wonder Woman issue two <sighs> is the first book on the list. Uh, number two is Alan Scott Green Lantern. Uh, wow. I know that is a little surprising. Good for the JSA. And then number three is Action Comics. Number four is Batman, Catwoman, The Gotham, More Red Hood, issue two. <laughs> Notice how we had so many books and that wasn't in the list. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say it was purposely left off, but um, no one was clamoring. 
don't worry. Uh, they, uh, Connor's been forced to read that uh, uh, next time he's on. So, admittedly, that may be after the event started. <laughs> he has to still talk about Red Hood issue too. <laughs> um, then uh, we have number number five is the Flash. Number six is Green Arrow. Number seven is Amazon's Attack. Number eight is Detective Comics. Number nine is Batman: Brave and the Bold. And number ten is Power Girl. So, hey. Interesting. Uh, number 11 is Penguin, just missing out in the top 10, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't know if that just says a lot about how competitive this week is, or maybe it says that, uh, I don't know. Like, let's assume that Detective Comics, which is at number eight, which is not amazing, but let's assume that's, mm-hmm. that sold the same amount roughly as it did last month, and that's usually like number I don't know, four or five. Mm-hmm. Can we assume that Penguin probably sold similar to issue two, and it's just been pushed down because of so much stuff selling well this month. Yeah. Is that yeah. possible? I don't know. Well, and this is not like, you know, uh, retailers' numbers, right? These are all digital. This is just a so digital not, ranking, yeah. So it's not like Power Girl 2 had an increase because a lot of people bought, you know, Power Girl 1, you know? Sure, So yeah. it's not like there's that echo. So I'm sure yeah. uh, the physical cover has lots of pervy covers that... Hold on, I, I have it open because I was looking at... Um, Get the weird design. Um, not particularly no? pretty. Okay. You know, there's... I mean, there's there's one that looks like... Uh, the way that the sun's hitting, it almost looks like she's not wearing pants. But, you know, <laughs> we, we all know her new uniform does have pants. So Okay. But, yeah, no, not particularly pervy. All right, all right. This, ain't, this ain't Harley or Ivy. Yeah, that's fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Beast Boy, or Tales from the Titans, I should say, and Doom Patrol at 12 and 13. So, yeah, healthy amount of books this week from DC. So, uh, really filled out that top 10. Uh, no trades in sight. Those are much further down the list. So, good stuff. Uh, Wednesday, you got a guess for your number one book? I'm, I'm going through, and there's so many too on this one. Um... League of Comic Geeks is, is throwing me for a loop. Um, I, my heart's saying X-Men, but my brain's going to say uh, Uncanny Spider-Man number two. I'm afraid not. Dang. All right. No. Is it Realm of X? Nope. Wow. Oh for 2, then. Um, Dark X-Men 3. No. Really? This is this is uh Is it even a Marvel book? <laughs> it is a Marvel book, yes. Okay. Uncanny Avengers. That is correct. Uncanny okay. Avengers is the top selling book as of right now on Comicsology. And uh, number two is Jean Grey, issue three. Number three is Dark X Men. Number four is Uncanny Spider Man. Number five is Immortal Thor. Number six is Amazing Spider Man. Number seven is Alpha Flight. Number eight is Realm of X. Number nine is Captain America. And number 10 is Predator versus Wolverine. No indies this week in the top No, all Marvel, yeah. In fact, yeah. oh no. Uh, so yeah, number 12 is the first non-Marvel book. That's Void Rivals. Yeah. Um, that, that's number five on like Comic Geeks on the list. And then you have to go to 16 after that to get to spawn. Uh, Three, four, six. That'll be the one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, that, that's yeah, it's, it, it's a very, a lot of books came out this week from both big publishers, yeah. actually. It's a very busy week for comics. 
Yeah. For whatever reason. Um, I don't know. I, I get the feeling that some stuff just sort of ended up landing this way. Because Wonder mm-hmm. Woman wasn't on this week last month. No. It got pushed a, a week or maybe... Yeah, it must have been pushed a week. It, wouldn't, it wasn't any... It couldn't have been any later last month because it's the last mm-hmm. week. So, yeah. I mean, it is what it is. Um, but there you go. That's the Comic Soldier Top 10 for the week. Very, very busy. A lot of books. Seemingly doing relatively well if we if we judge some of those lower books as selling the same as what they normally do digitally it means that a reasonable amount sold quite well so mm-hmm. uh very good so that is that all right i guess we'll go into the comic sign we can just get straight yeah. into it um we got a lot of books to talk about we'll start off with detective comics 1075 ram v and francesco francavilla uh, on the R, mm-hmm. which uh, is, is a nice surprise to, to see. Uh, always, always nice to see Frank Avila doing superhero stuff. Yeah. Uh, there was a dodgy face like two or three pages in, yes. which I'll have to point out, but mm-hmm. uh, by and large, his, his art is very aesthetically pleasing. It's got a good tone to it and yeah. uh, colors pop. You know, the, the, the way that man uses origins, oranges against black is, is unparalleled. The, also makes the purples really pop. Like those that that branch, the darker blues and stuff too. It's just yeah. Yeah, yeah it's on the second page. It's so this flashback of the cop mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and the burning building, and it's the, it's the panel where he's with Batman, and his face looks <laughs> grotesque. It's like something like a child would draw, and that sounds really insulting. But the rest of the art is fantastic, so th- th- please do not take this as a as an insult. Mr. I mean, Frank it, it would have been an insult if you said it looks like something Tom King would have drawn. <laughs> no, it looks so. better than that at least. <laughs> Which is it's a low bar, but <laughs> yeah, as what it is. Uh, but yeah, the framing device a lot of this issue is this cop uh, Fielding, something like that his name. Uh-huh. Uh, but he's talking to his partner. Uh, and explaining what happened to him and how why he spent some time in Arkham because all this fear toxin that he ingested and the you know the day that Batman saved him. But the big thing here is that he actually he's putting the pieces together. Last issue, Batman was like he's kind of unhinged and he was going from these locations trying to remember his past or reach out to his past before like the the inner Barbados takes over kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, can i just say we're doing a story here where the inner demon of Barbados is trying to take over and how much more i like it than the zero and r stuff in batman i think it's really funny yeah. that they're both kind of tackling well, a similar idea that way well because i feel like the thing with Barbados is not not just because it was established before but it is almost like bruce's trauma whereas i feel like zero and r the whole idea that that was a, a a mentality that Bruce put into himself. You know, there's almost like a, a fate and mythics uh, sense to Barbados. Yeah, but it's a very similar concept. Like, like really, both of them shouldn't exist. Like, mm-hmm. only one should really exist. But we've had these two different kind of takes on, like, mm-hmm. the inner dark side of Batman kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zurinar, you know, did get created first. I mean, that's the older one, but... Right. Uh, I think this Barbato stuff here has been handled much better. But anyway, uh, you know, so Batman was going around all these locations and our detective here, you know, he, he was kind of like linking them up and like connecting them all to Wayne. Mm-hmm. And this issue, he actually straight up just like gets to the conclusion that this seems like a personal thing. He he gets uh-huh. to the, the, the theory that Bruce Wayne is Batman. And 
you know, meanwhile, we get Batman in Crime Alley crying in the rain, imagining that he's talking to his younger self and hands off his younger self to the bat. (laughs) That panel of this, like, you know, adult, when I say adult, I mean human-sized bat, with his hand on the back of young Bruce's head, almost smiling back at Batman, like, yes, I'll take him now. He'll become you. Do not worry. Uh, He's in good hands. Yeah, really good stuff. But uh, earlier in the issue, though, uh, and the art of Cross here, of course, is all fantastic. But the the Argums are talking about Bruce and where he's going, and one of them mentions that uh, Gotham itself is not is no longer protecting its Dark Knight, and it kind of mm-hmm. sets up what's going to happen because I kind of seen it coming, but in like a sort of excitement way, which is the other cop was going to turn on the guy who was figuring it all out. Because as soon as as yep. soon as this Fielding's guy figured out that Bruce Wayne is Batman, I was like, oh, he's so dead. Like, he's he's not living because he knows too much now. Not that Batman's going to kill him, but he is conveniently going to be killed somehow. And sure enough, it's his partner who shoots him because he's getting too close to the answers uh, and calls the Argums and says, okay, we found him. He's he's crying uh-huh. at the, the Wayne gravestones outside the manor. And yeah. That, complete mental breakdown from bruce oh right? oh yeah he's he's yeah. lost it he's he's uh um, he's he's barely struggling to stay stay on here mm-hmm. uh and what's interesting is at the end of this issue when arzen shows up and unmasks batman and realizes that it's bruce wayne he has this interesting thing where he's like oh we have to hang batman uh but he kind of ponders like is there any way to save bruce wayne and it makes me wonder if He's going to do some sort of public execution of Batman, but it's not actually going to be physically Bruce that's right. in the, the outfit. Well, right, because then like he that. remembers the betrayal of his father by Ra's al Ghul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And he he's like, what type, of man, what type of man would I be to turn on my friend? Um, he also remembers the, the tree. Remember the tree that yep. was, was burned down to, like, mm-hmm. you know, destroy to, the whole To garden. bend him to his mom's will, right? Um, and so it, it definitely adds a wrinkle into this organ plan, right? Because now it's almost put the doubt of their plan into Arzen himself, you know, by seeing who Batman is. Uh, so, which, which I was not expecting, right? Uh, Cause the way that he's been, the way that we've seen him last, right? He's all amped up on the asthma himself or whatever, whatever makes them look like monsters. Uh, so him to have this lucidity here uh, was a nice wrinkle for Manvi. Yeah, and plus he's set up this guy's backstory enough that we kind of like get mm-hmm. what it's harkening back to and why he feels some kind of sympathy and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we'll just talk about the, the backup here as well, uh, which very neatly ties into like, the themes that the main story is playing with. It's basically right after the death of the parents, it's like Alfred taking Bruce home, um, but it's mirrored with this sort of otherworldly kind of version of it where it's Alfred being the human character who's reaching out to bruce to try and help him sort of like mm-hmm. deal with what he's going through and then in this otherworldly version it's barbatos who's r- lending out a hand to bruce and the way this is done is that you get a page with bruce and alfred and then you get another page with the exact same layout but in this other world in his head or whatever you want to call it where mm-hmm. the bat demon barbatos is is offering the same help and putting out his hand in the same way that alfred is but the mm-hmm. narration is very different it's all about you know, like conquering and using this anger and fear and rage to do something. Whereas obviously Alfred's is a lot more compassionate. It's about moving on. It's about coming through this stronger. And it really, the whole, the whole idea is, is about this, um, 
this idea that inside Bruce there's this pull between the human side that Alfred was keeping alive the entire mm-hmm. time and the the pure like rage that was created by the murder of his parents and that's kind of what Barbados right. is representing here. Uh, well, it's in, and it's the importance that Alfred was his anchor. Yeah, right? yeah, and he's not that got that his, anymore. Yeah, right. And now that's missing. He's kind of adrift, you know. And and that's where Ram V started. I know Waters did this backup, but it, it plays in with Ram V um, adding the idea that Bruce was having like panic attacks and anxiety, right, at the beginning of this run before all the Orgum stuff kicked in. Um, and it just goes that you know maybe he does need that that anchor that ties him because being being this pure vengeance only has you know led him to this em- uh, emotional breakdown at his parents' grave. Yeah, you know. And on this subject, this is Dan Waters doing the backup. It's Aaron Campbell doing the art and the art. credit to Aaron Campbell because mm-hmm. following up Frank Avila and not feeling like a step down is impressive no. because the art here is gorgeous in this backup. It's, and it's so different too than yeah. Uh, there's a painted quality to it. It's um, like because Fra- Frank Avell is such a flat color mm-hmm. dude, right? He's he's everything's yep. very flat, cut out kind of stuff. Um, feels very pulpy. Then you get to this art at the back, and it's so detailed and shaded, and like you say, painted. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of shadows, all these kind of things. Uh, very, very, very pretty. Yeah, and then just the the difference in the the tones of the, the Bruce and Alfred pages compared to Bruce and the bat demon. Right. There's, there's a, like, there's a dark, like a shadowiness in the Alfred pages that make it seem more like real life. And then there's like this bright, like it's almost as if Barbados is emanating light. And so it gives it this washed out dreamlike ethereal. It, like, it's very, very well handled. It feels almost love crafting. It feels like, a. Mm-hmm. You know, he's getting messages from something beyond. Yeah. It's just internal, but it kind of has that vibe right. to it. Uh, yeah. I love that last couple of panels, uh, or the last panel on the last two pages, if you will. So mm-hmm. it's like Bruce is walking down a hall, but the light at the end of the door kind of makes the, the bat ears a little bit. Mm-hmm. But then the final page is inside the, the more inside the head one is like the, the entire, it's almost inverted where it's all light making a big bat symbol that he's walking into with darkness around mm-hmm. it. Uh, and I suppose you could argue there's some sort of parallel there of walking into the light or something. I don't know. Yep. Uh, but well, yeah. he's he's going. It's almost like Bruce is emanating the light into the darkness, right? Mm. Whereas here he's walking out of the darkness into the light. Here he is the light, and that's kind of what Batman was for for Gotham. Oh, that's a nice, right? so, yeah, that's a nice point. Yeah, right. So like the, the idea that we think that Barbados is this bat demon, however, it's you know he's bruce has chosen to use that power you know for for good it's almost his own asthma in and of itself yeah i want to really compliment just how much the backup really felt like it added to the main story in this mm-hmm. issue because it really felt so tied yeah. in and uh like it well, the, the fact too it. that the main yeah the main story too is bruce having like this emotional breakdown right and so here we actually get into his head you know into you know what's uh, the word i'm looking for you know, him, not why he's having the breakdown, but, you know, like again, it's the idea of, of Alfred as the anchor, and that that's his, his constant, if you will, to borrow from Lost. Well, I mean, right? I, it's his... I think if you tie it into the main story, the, the thing that really connects it, upon, about, apart from the fact that we're just dealing with mm-hmm. this inner struggle with Batman, is that we get that scene where it's the Bat leading 
the mm-hmm. young Bruce away from the crime scene. It's not Alfred who's walking away in that right. scene in the main story. It's this bat. So that right. that's like this tether into the backup, which just enhances that idea further and says it's it's almost like it takes that moment and says, okay, this is what that moment was really saying, and mm-hmm. sort of exploring it further. And it's such a surreal moment, obviously, because it's all this stuff in Batman's head that it actually yeah. does benefit from the extra analysis and uh, exploration. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's all very good, and like I say, all that stuff with the two cops in the car, uh, the way it plays with the lighting, where you've got the blues, the orange at the top, and the yellow lights at the front of the car, or even when Batman's standing in front of the manor, it's just like it's all blues and blacks, but then you've got the orange lights from the windows. Uh, mm-hmm. It's all just so goddamn pretty. Uh, it's yeah. very very easy to to get, in. and the the villain cop is always easy to distinguish because once he actually makes his heel turn and shoots his partner uh, yeah. all of a sudden the coloring because he's always had blonde hair but the coloring from that point on the blonde hair is like lit up like really bright so he's mm-hmm. always sticking out as this kind of it, it kind of reminded me of frank miller sin city right when he would put hmm. certain colors to to accentuate the characters um, and I wonder if that was on purpose or just the stylistic. Well, I, I think Frank Avia to break up the page here. Well, part of that, but I think it's emphasizing the blonde hair after he's become a villain, and then once the Argums show up, um, like they're bathed in yellow light, like, especially mm-hmm. Arzen when he shows up because they're lit by the, the car headlights. Yeah. They're all bathed in yellow, so I think he's really playing with this idea that yellow here means, yeah, you know, indicates a villain of some kind, Might uh, corruption should, of some kind. Yeah, we should also mention that uh, the eye lady one, who's I can't remember either Sh- names, Sh- Shavad. There you go. Uh, yeah. She pays off the corrupt cop, but then uses her powers to tell him to kill himself in a week after mm-hmm. writing a suicide letter saying that he's he's so guilty because he killed his partner. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, damn. And he just says yes, because it's a, it's a superpower. He can't do anything mm-hmm. about it. He just has to accept it. So uh, I, I think that was a, a really nice, dark little bit here at the end of the story. Um, yeah. I think it was so good. I'm really enjoying this arc. And what, what now we now know seems to be the final... Uh, well, maybe not the final part of the whole Arzen thing. But the, it feels like we're we're really playing on everything that the mm-hmm. book's been setting up since Ram V started his entire run. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I'm really digging this, uh, this inner struggle with Batman. And it's such a, again, it's such a cold, hard difference to the main Batman book, which is kind of doing the same thing in a very different way right now. But because this is built up to it and really set up like why he's having this crisis of like personality and like how the villains are playing on that crisis as opposed to just, you know, we're throwing in, Oh, Vandal Savage is here now, and there's a, a battle with Catwoman for the, for the you know the, the heart of Gotham City, all that shit. Mm-hmm. That's actually that's actually feels like it's all been set up in a way that I can really enjoy yeah. what it's saying by using all these elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on top of that, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous issue. So yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. Well, what are you, what are you writing Detective Comics then? Um, I'm giving this an eight point five. Uh, I think I have to go. I have to go nine for me. Nine out of ten for Detective. Yeah. Uh, quite comfortably. So very, very good. All right. Action mm-hmm. Comics one thousand fifty-eight. Philip Keddie Johnson writing with Rafa Sandoval on the art in the main story, at least of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll get into all that. So yeah, last issue was uh, I get the very focused issue, which was the TV interview with uh, the leader of the Blue Earthers. Yep. Right. Uh, this issue followed up. There was a cliffhanger last time, 
which I, I'll admit, when I started this issue and there was this fight between Clark and some evil Superman, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember if we knew who the evil Superman was, and we only kind of did. We, we kind of got the impression that it was her henchman dude, but there wasn't really much of an explanation as to why he looked like Superman and had all of his powers. Right. This this is eventually hinted at later in this issue, but for the entirety mm-hmm. of the fight, we just kind of have to deal with the fact that we don't know that, and Clark's having to figure out why this guy's got all of his powers. So and why he looks like him, right? And it's it's it definitely reminded me of the Christopher Reeve Superman where he fights the evil version of himself. And junk the junkyard, yeah. It's it's yep. Superman three is not a great movie, but goddamn that scene's fantastic. I'll yep. I'll, I'll stick so, up for that scene every day of the week. Yep uh this fight's really good though it's it's really well drawn uh the sandoval art's fantastic and ultimately mm-hmm. superman has to really use his wits to try and beat this guy uh because his powers are depleted right now and it's mentioned later on that they're slowly coming back but he's still not got yeah. them fully even by the end of the issue he uses a satellite network that lex Luthor set up and this was a nice bit of continuity between the two superman yep. books because obviously all the super corp stuff that's all been in superman that's not been right in so mm-hmm. uh but he's like yeah there's these satellites with kryptonite beams that are ready in superman left them up because he knows you know occasionally a zod or another kryptonian villain might show yeah, up there's a reason Krillux. Yeah, yeah, there's a reason to have these about. Uh, so sure enough, uh, he he has them blast this uh, fake Superman with all these kryptonite rays, which sets off the guy's heat vision, which I love this page, by the way. Where it's, so it's all these green beams hitting him, but then there's another panel with the red beams coming from his eyes, shooting up through all the green beams. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's just a gorgeous, yep. big comic booky page. Uh, but I, I love that this is how Clark wins the fight, because... This guy's never used this heat vision before, and Clark talks about how, you know, it is easily the most dangerous power he has in terms of control because mm-hmm. he had to learn how to refine it. And he, like, especially using it in a combat situation, he had to learn to control it so well before he felt comfortable doing that. And if you go, if you run too hot, if you do it too hard, it literally would make him blind temporarily and use up all of his energy, so he'd be right. very weak, right? That was... That was a thing that I got where it was like, yeah, you, you think it's easy being Superman. I've had to master this stuff. It's, you know, it, it really gets into because one of the arguments I always see online about Superman is like, oh, he's too powerful. But people always forget, like, their stories built in how Superman's had to learn to live with this type of stuff. Right. And it's taken time. And there's always that talk about, you know. When, when Superman fights Zod and stuff, Zod's a trained, like, soldier, right? But Superman can always get the edge on him because he's had the powers longer, right? So it, he's a little bit more... At least in the know. first, like... In the early encounters with Zod, yeah. for sure. Because Zod, it's right. all new to Zod. I think... Because I always like the idea with Zod that, yeah, in a fair one-on-one fight, Zod's going to kick the shit out of him mm-hmm. because Zod's this trained guy. I, right. I Like, I like the idea that if you, like, I don't get some like red solar energy or something mm-hmm. and like neutralize right. Zod down to human level. Right. Like, and you had Zod versus Superman without powers. Zod would yeah. absolutely kick his oh, ass. Right. Absolutely. He's, he's right. a soldier, right? right. He's an actual general. Th- th- this is where you bring in a Batman or someone who, right. yeah, obviously Zod with powers, Batman's melted, but Zod, <laughs> Zod human form. Okay. Now you bring right. in Batman to fight him. Cause he's got the fighting skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I like this because it is, yeah. um, this idea that this just knocks him out because this guy has no control. He's he's never right. used these powers before. And well, and he's he Superman baits him into this too, right? By hitting yeah, with, the, yeah. the, with the satellite, you know, lasers and all this, and so he just opens up, 
And oh, yeah. he's like, right, on, time for a nap. Yeah, on that know? page where he, bl- he blasts the heat vision for the first time mm-hmm. as he's getting hit with all the kryptonite rays, mm-hmm. the panel at the bottom of that page is showing you where these these heat vision yeah. rays are hitting. They're hitting the satellite. So he's yeah. blasting all the way into the mm-hmm. atmosphere. Right. Or out of the atmosphere, I should say. So mm-hmm. that's a really fun page. Uh, and then obviously, you've also got this idea that Superman, he didn't get all his powers at once. He kind of, no. you know, he, he, he got to master them one at a time. So mm-hmm. he had this sort of natural. Well, you thing. know that from watching Smallville. Shut up. Right? I don't want to talk about Smallville. <laughs> like, he, he covers the super breath because he has allergies, mm. right? <laughs> God, that's such a dumb episode. Uh, Hello. Is so, it an allergy? Uh, something makes him sneeze and he knocks yeah. something over. That's a, yep. it's like a season three episode. We're not got there yet in the, the, yeah, the reviews. Gotcha. But but yeah, but I like that. That's how he does it because he's you know being that he's drained from his powers, right? He can. Clark even says like I, I can hold him off because he's kind of raw with, with all of this. He's going to get overwhelmed. I just have to you know get to a certain point. So I do like that Clark has the you know the the mental awareness to to keep this going as long as he needs to and after he punches him uh when Mm -hmm. his energy's been depleted he takes off this uh fancy looking tech bracelet which is is Mm -hmm. what's made him superman effectively Mm -hmm. so we have this uh piece of evidence here but this is where you know the leader of the blue earthers Mm -hmm. uh goes on tv and starts talking about how Superman. Look at all these this fighting and destroying buildings. She's she's blaming her fake Superman as if he's the real Superman. Right. To to disown Superman to say, hey, look, he's a menace. You know, basically she's doing her J. Jonah Jameson. She's like, he's. Yep. That's he, what I was just gonna say. Yeah. It's it's early Lex and it's J. Jonah Jameson, where it's like he's too much of a threat to be here. You know, yeah. he, he's gonna bring all the troubles. Look at this. But she flat says, look, we believe that only aliens could harness this solar energy like Superman, but that's yeah. not true. Uh, we've got exciting things to talk about. So clearly, this is like you know, this is an early example of this like experiment to give humans Superman mm-hmm. powers. So really interesting stuff, uh, and that's like the first half of the issue. But it's a really well done fight, so that takes yep. up a lot of that. Uh, then we have back at the Kent house, we've got uh, the kids all coming home, and we find out that the the girl uh, of the twins get uh-huh. into a fight <laughs> that day, and. You know, car- this was at the steel, you know, works. So, so academy. Yeah, right. they were they were around to like, intervene. Karen mm-hmm. that intervened to stop it from going too far. Uh, but they have to do a whole big speech about how fighting is not the answer, and obviously they came from War World. That's all they're right. used to. Uh, they're actual barbarian kids. That's how they <laughs> settle things. You but know, just as Lois is making this point, Clark walks in the door with his suit all torn to shreds because he's clearly been in a fight for his life uh Uh, i I could chuckle out of that uh but so i think they they sneakily put in here what names these two kids are going to get as their superhero names because uh Mm -hmm. kara takes them into the room and whips out the book and talks about um well nightwing and flamebird to to uh, to begin with Uh uh talks about these uh house fables these stories of these like Mm -hmm. sort of heroes and mythic legends and how the the L family always talked about Night, Nightwing and Flamebird, and obviously that's how Nightwing ended up with his uh, mm-hmm. his name. Uh, but she brings up uh, the, their family, their clan, uh, and talks about how this goes all the way back to ancient Kryptonian history when there was two warring tribes, mm-hmm. uh, the the Avor and Eldani tribes, if I'm saying those correctly. But sure, mentions that their leaders who were warring with each other were called Red Sun and Starchild, and I went, that sounds like two superhero names we might give yeah. these two kids. 
Right. And so we also call them the super twins, right? There'll be more yes. of that in the, in the, you know, the backups, uh, which also reminds me of, you know, silver age storytelling where, where Superman ends up with, you know, you get the whole Superman red, Superman blue, but also the, the, the super twins that existed and each one was red, one was blue. Mm. Um, so I, I feel like Philip Kenny Johnson leaning into this whole oh, yeah, concept, even a uh, electric blue and, uh, yeah, red. That's where that was pulling from right but so the idea that you know even on their their house of l crest right uh osol is blue and uh and also is is red yeah uh, and then we get this whole story with red sun and star child as, as <laughs> the captains of these what, what do you tribes. think of the choice of having red sun colored blue and star child colored red yeah, that, that's a bit, you know, counterintuitive. It, it's, uh, it's like they just want to be weird for weird's sake. Yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> so, well, this is how I'm remembering now uh, as who's who, right? Because also and also are very difficult to remember sometimes. But I'm remembering that, you know, uh, Osol is close to the Azul, which is, you know, Spanish for blue. And that tends to be what he wears. So that's how I'm remembering it. So... You know, if he ends up being Red Sun, it's going to completely confuse me even more. Also is the girl. I'll just try and remember that. Yeah. Also is the girl. Also mm-hmm. is the boy. But yep. I'll, I'll, I'll try my best. Uh, so, no, this was an interesting little bit of Kryptonian lore that we're ha- mm-hmm. just sort of sprinkling in and, here. And I like that it came from Kara, since Kara is kind of this, not a gatekeeper per se, of Krypton, but she, you know, what do we say? She's the uh, immigrant that remembers the homeland. Right, so the fact that it's coming from her, not from Clark, I, I think is is another layer on that story, because uh, she even said it came from the the Library of Candor. Yeah. Uh, so, and I like that, and this the whole idea of Kryptonian uh, culture. Uh, you know, Philip Kenny Johnson's been building this and bringing up like the Philosians. So, sounds like they were just as barbaric in the past as humans were, frankly. Yeah. Right. You know, there's there. You know. Um, but just, yeah, and it, and it fits in with his kind of fantasy kind of style, like with the whole war world, there's that fantasy sheen on it. I like that he's not getting away from that. Uh, so, and more on that in a, in a minute, because, yeah. great uh, moment. So, Superman says to Steel, um, hey, my powers are slowly coming back, but I'm not going to be at full strength for a while. I could maybe use some... You know, something, some tech oh. to boost myself a little yeah. bit until they're back to full. And Steel just gets a big grin in his face, and he's like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm excited now. Uh, so we get that, and uh, the, the issue, the main story ends with Superman getting the suit of armor and a super sword <laughs> that he's yeah, going to go. use. Uh, I, I knew you'd like that. Yeah, of course. I mean, he's he's, a, he's the Krypton Knight, right? Like uh, <laughs> The Krypton It doesn't have quite, quite a ring to it, Matt. I'm sorry. It doesn't, but I, but I do like it. Um, it, it it's because Krypton's got two syllables. You have to have something with one syllable. True, you know, but also uh, it's a play on Kryptonite, right? He's 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 he is uh, yeah, the okay, I, I can see it, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, just him going to steal and be like, I'm gonna need something to to hold me over until I can get fully charged. And Steel's like, I ho- thought you would never ask. So yeah. just like the the idea that he's had armor for Superman, right? Uh, and and the idea that Superman's also kind of missing the war worldiness, right? And I, I can't remember his title, right? But the unblooded sword. Mm. Uh, so the fact that he's going to carry a sword again, I'm definitely not mad. 
you know, talking about puns with you know Superman and Kryptonite things. Yeah. I'm, I'm also. It's, it's no books made a joke about someone confusing crypto the dog for cryptocurrency. I feel like it. It's, I feel like it would, right? Yeah, like, it's begging for a reference to it. But, but but are we past crypto being a relevant thing for that? Uh... I mean, I think it was irrelevant as soon as people started saying yeah. it to be honest but uh, yeah. you know here we are now yeah so uh the other scene that we skipped over though is uh mm-hmm. the blue arthur chick going back to her lair which is very magical looking there's like, a big yeah. there's a big etrigan looking thing just kind of mm-hmm. sitting there in the background yeah. uh and then she kind of conjures up something like an, a cauldron and basically has a phone call through the magic cauldron yep. to some other beings um and yeah, interesting. But basically, it talks about how she thinks that one of the Kryptonians can be turned, that can mm-hmm. be brought over to their side. Uh, talks about their plans a little bit. Uh, I'm curious as to which one she's talking about. Uh, part of me was thinking, okay, one of the twins maybe me makes too. sense because she has that temper issue. Uh, mm-hmm. The next logical choice could maybe be someone like maybe Connor? I don't know. Right. Uh, but... Those were the first names that jumped out of my head as far as who she thinks she can turn. Not that they necessarily will, but right. understanding why she thinks there's who, a chance. Who they're targeting, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the whole magic aspect of her really makes sense. If she's she's going to be one of these, you know, people that fuses magic and technology, you know, I, I really like that idea for a foil for Superman. But yeah, plus um, we always, we know that Superman's, one of his weaknesses other than kryptonite is, mm-hmm. is magic. Magic can right. can get in his way. Well, and this would make sense why he it was able to drain him so fast, right? It wasn't just kryptonite. There was something else at play in the fact that it was magic or it's magic kryptonite yeah. at it, this point. It also yeah. sounds like she needed uh, some of Clark's blood to like mm-hmm. power more of whatever her tech is. Because she says, yep. I've bled the first of them enough to power a team of her own. So that sounds yeah. like blood of Krypt- Kryptonians is actually right. powering whatever she's doing right. to give people Superman powers. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. But yeah, her and there's always something funny to me about like these magic occult people also being the, you know, let's just, let's just say for lack of a better term, you know, the I don't want to say racist because it, is it racist that she hates Kryptonians? Yeah, right? xenophobic. Xenophobic let's for go. sure. Yeah, it's always funny when xenophobic you know people start to use occult type stuff so just the idea that this is this is her thing fits in very well with i feel like the vibe that philip county johnson's been using right to use these as kind of reflections of modern society well Um, i think what's interesting here is that i I question if she herself is actually believing all this xenophobic stuff she says or is she just using it as a tool to get what she wants I, I think, to me, I think she does believe it. That's what the whole Blue Earth Movement's about, right? Is that she's she's well, about... I know, would have said so as well before, but now that she's like communicating with higher-ups that she's reporting to, it, and the way she says, oh, soon they'll have no more use for Kryptonians and we can begin, it sounds like the end goal is... It sounds like the Blue Earther stuff is just a, a means to whatever the end is that she's got planned after with these like higher well, uppers and, and maybe because uh, we don't know who these shadowy people are right but what if they're just like these pro-human earther types that are going to use magic you know to to get kryptonians out of the way so they can usher in whatever magic beings i don't know i don't know, you know? I, I was getting the vibe that these either could be aliens or <laughs> something from another dimension i, I, I don't mm. know this felt like a like higher up to me than just yeah. oh these are some blue earthers on earth somewhere yeah an escape Maybe. call 
Uh, I mean, I'm I'm fully ready for whatever Philip Kennedy Johnson reveals because I I've, yeah. there's been enough trust here. Even just the, like, the f- either way, the font of the lettering kind of implies mm-hmm. they're mystical to me. Right, but you can also be mystical, but also be you know xenophobic Earth person, right? Like maybe maybe oh, they yeah, don't you, have to be from a, a. You could be. I, I'm just like right. it's given me a vibe. The vibe it's given gotcha. me is that they're something else. That they're I don't know, aliens themselves, which would make it very ironic that she's, you know, right. doing a whole, you know, anti-alien thing to, like, mm-hmm. do what she wants, right. uh, or or whatever. But either way, uh, interesting yeah. stuff. Uh, and then the final scene is Clark getting his uh, suit of armor, which is basically just the steel suit without a mask. Well, yeah, without a mask, without the headpiece and a sword instead of a hammer. Yeah. Uh, and arguably the cape's a bit more prominent, but I don't know if that's just because mm-hmm. the way it's, like, flapping up during this final page could yeah it could just be the the angle yeah which we're seeing it uh so there's two backups in action uh for now mm-hmm. that seems to be changing in january when it goes to this new format but right. uh we got a secret identity part one here this is gene Lun yang with victor mm-hmm. bogdanovich so a reunion uh and it's a new superman story and it's set a little mm-hmm. bit you know a little bit back it's between action yeah. uh 1050 and 1051 they say and it's basically how Keenan got integrated into the super family, uh, where he's helping with them, and there's some jokes here about how, like, his English isn't very good, so he's saying kind of weird things. Like, he, he keeps referring to the super twins as nice children who I like very much. Yeah. Because he actually thinks they're little shits. But, but in his home, like, in his hometown, he calls them the little creeps. Yes, which you know? later on, when the translator is on and they hear yep. that, they uh, get very upset. Um, but the kids think he's a spy. And it turns mm-hmm. out they're kind of right because yep. he's actually been sent here by his Batman, by Baxter, right. uh, to investigate because there's a murder victim who seems to have been killed by what could be heat vision. Mm-hmm. So he's there to investigate the supers uh, on behalf of him. Uh, although he's come to the conclusion that he doesn't think any of them have killed this guy, but right. uh, obviously they're all kind of, you know, I think it's uh, Connor and the twins are very kind of miffed that he's he's doing all this that he's even intimating that yeah one of them could have done it and the big thing that this ends with is that he basically uses the the, the robin bot to deduce that the flight patterns of all these characters always seem to go to this farm in smallville mm-hmm. wait that's that's owned by clark kent so he realizes that superman is clark kent but then he gets seemingly an aneurysm and dies because this spell yep. that lex Luthor enacted so that everyone forget it seems to be killing anyone who remembers or figures out that clark kent is superman so the cliffhanger here is that keen's lying on the floor and he's dead obviously he's not dead he's going to somehow be fine by the end of the story but uh, it's he's too dumb to die right (laughs) (laughs) that's what we've learned also the so the guy that they're the death that they're investigating was a reporter that was going so that Mm. he had a lead on superman's identity so, uh, and there was, I guess, ties back to New Superman number one, like that character being there. Which um, uh, does sound like he died the same way then by figuring yep. out Clark was Superman, maybe. Right. So. Right. And so I just, it's curious of what the heat vision aspect of it is, if that's just what, you know, uh, Lex's scheme imagined. Yeah, you I know. do wonder, because we're obviously going to somehow get Keenan back, I wonder if this, this other guy also gets saved somehow uh, mm-hmm. retroactively, whether that's yeah. through time travel magic or just something reverses the effects this this the worst thing about this story was it made me miss new superman 
because the dynamics between uh, Baishi and and uh, Keenan, it was just it was something that was very welcoming. Oh yeah, know? yeah. So, uh, and Bogdanovich being on the art felt like a nice yeah. warm blanket as well. Uh, mm-hmm. This was a nice little backup to uh, to get. Yeah. Uh, and I must confess, I didn't even bother reading the last backup just okay. because, just, just last... because uh, you know, I had so many books to time. read. Yeah, yeah, time. Yeah. So I, I read through it because it's Bibbo, right? And I knew you would because uh, it said Bibbo and the Super Twins and I was like, okay, Matt's going to read it. Yeah, yeah, So uh, it, it takes place through, Bibbo is watching them where seemingly at the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade, but through Metropolis. And he uh, is trying to show them like what what human events are like. So this is what his family used to do. Every year they would go down, uh, but because the Super Twins are so so rambunctious, and because they're from War World, they don't understand the concept of floats and entertainment. And so, um, like, there's this float for the parade that's talking about the melting of the polar ice caps, right, and climate change. And all they hear is that it's for like the Arctic. <laughs> I'd, I just you said yeah. that like such a like an American pronunciation of climate. Climate, yeah, climate. Not climate, 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 climate chains, climate, chains. yes. Um, <laughs> and so they're like, oh, like the Arctic, like when Superman took us up to the Fortress of Solitude, but that's not what it looks like. So they use their super breath to to freeze the float over, right? And then they Bibbo goes to buy them hot dogs, and they decide they don't, you know, want to be there. So they take off and they start flying around the, you know, the the giant balloons and. Um, the parade uh, on the parade route where they end up uh, thinking that one of the um, someone on on the parade is a bad guy so Superman has to come in and and save the day right and they stop and they listen to him and eventually get the hot dogs and ask Bibbo if they can do this with him every year which makes him shed a proud tear because you know Bibbo is part of the family Uh, and it was just a very nice little story very much filler Right. Uh, there's some comedy in between Kat and Steve Lombard who are doing the the um, coverage of the the floats uh, at the beginning, uh, where they're they're going back and forth and Kat going, "I'm never doing this with you again." Um, but but yeah, again, just just a lot of filler, but but fun. Like uh, it, it'll be a nice little you know break in whatever collection that they mm. they choose to throw it in. But, but did the uh, the real Turbo Man show up? No, or right. Turtle Man, yeah, not him either, <laughs> or or Booster, who nobody likes. Oh yeah, no one likes Booster. Uh, all right, what are you rate in Action Comics one thousand? I'm gonna give uh, Action Comics as a whole a nine. I really enjoyed this issue. Yeah, I'm just gonna go with an eight. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I enjoyed the main story and the backup that I read. I like what it's building to. I think the art uh, by Sandoval. Uh, I think this in the last few couple issues have been kind of some of the best stuff that he's done. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, really good expressive characters, nice deep inky kind of lines and stuff, which isn't just him, obviously, but uh, right. yeah, I, I love the, the expansion of the Kryptonian mythology and I liked how Clark uh, dealt with the fight. So uh, good, good time. Uh, so there you go. That's Action Comics 1058. Wonder Woman issue two, legacy number 802, uh, Tom mm-hmm. King writing with Daniel Sampier on the art. Now, issue one of this kind of blew us away it was fantastic yep so issue two had a lot uh of expectations going in 
and I think it's relatively safe to say I met them quite happily. <laughs> yeah, this is this is. I know where two she's in, and I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. However, this feels like it's going to be an all timer, um, just with the subject matter that King's going on, and then Sam Pierre's art. Just let the man cook. Oh yeah, like whatever, whatever King wants to have him draw, it's going to look fantastic. You what's, know. Yeah, what's so funny is that uh, so that that backup in. And detective which did the mm-hmm. whole you know one page of the alfred stuff one page yeah. of our battle stuff and they had the same layouts mm-hmm. this, this 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 entire issues well there's a couple exceptions but the most of this yeah. issue is kind of like that where it's mirroring the fight that diana did at the end of the tournament when no one knew it was her right so mm-hmm. on on themiscara there was a tournament to decide who would go back to man's world Mm-hmm. And this was the seemingly the final fight, but no one knew it was Diana, the daughter of Hippolyta. They just, right. you know, this masked woman was fighting, and she's fighting this other Amazon. And we get that fight playing out uh, alongside this fight that plays out in present day, which is the entire, well, not the entire, but a large portion of the U.S. Army fighting Wonder Woman. And it, you know, it starts off with like a little bit of conversation and the art and the present day stuff. It's Steve coming up to talk to her and mm-hmm. he, he's basically been sent in to try and talk her down so she'll turn herself in. And he knows mm-hmm. she's not going to, but he's, you know, he's, mm-hmm. he's making the offer all the same. <laughs> but he's going through the motions. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, and it's sort of like some of the dialogue that Diana has in the present day stuff mirrors mm-hmm. stuff that she said in that yeah. fight in the past. And but it- ultimately it all boils down to who she is and the fact that she's not going to yield because she doesn't think that that's the right thing to do. She's going right, to when, fight no matter what. When there's something that Diana believes in fully with her entire heart, she's unstoppable, right? Yeah. Nothing's going to get in her way. She's basically a force of nature. And in, in some of the dialogue, she talks about how every war is kind of the same, no matter, you know, if it was ancient or now, where, where they'll send in the, you know, like the barrage of attacks, right? which is like long distance weapons, whether it's arrows or bombs, right? And then they'll send in the cavalry, whether it's tanks or men on horses, right? And each of these things that she shows, it it shows how she's dealing with the army, but also, you know, in her fight against the Amazonian to come to man's world. And then it gets to finally the infantry, and that's where it really, really kicks off, where you just see her dismantling this force, right, uh, of of uh, army uh, i guess they're grunts right uh, as as steve and sergeant steel are watching through binoculars and it just yeah. it, it adds to the legend of wonder woman for sure well uh, just on the construction of the comic i was mentioning how and matt's trash men are being very loud he's just muted his mic for me thank you uh, so yeah the construction of the comic where it's doing this thing where you get like a page of, of diana talking to steve then a page of diana talking to the Amazon, and I keep saying the Amazon. I don't want to spoil it because there's a reveal uh, at the end of who it is. So I'm I'm keeping it separate for now. Yeah. Uh, but the way like, the first time they sort of like break the format is just at the end of this conversation when Diana says, "And no one has the right to tell me who I am." And like this page has that mirror format where it's the Steve and the other Amazon mm-hmm. down either side of the page. And at the bottom, it's the present day Wonder Woman saying this, but she's also finishing the sentence on the flashback. So it's mm-hmm. kind of this great thing where they both blend together. And it's right at this pivotal point where, okay, the dialogue is now over and the fight's about to start. So it feels like the end of like act one of the issue, if you will, where, okay, mm-hmm. 
now Steve's walking away and so is the Amazon. And then we get that great two-page spread where it's split horizontally. The top half's the Amazon fight. And when I say the fight, it's just like her eyeing her up. And then the bottom half is Wonder Woman standing with the military <laughs> in front of her. Uh, it's gorgeous stuff. Uh, and then it sets up, yeah, like you got Steve talking to Sergeant Steel. And Sergeant Steel keeps saying little things like, uh, when Wonder Woman, like, wins the first wave, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Steve says something like, oh, the the, 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 the artillery didn't do what you wanted it to. And Steel's like, we. He's like, what do you, what do you mean, sir? Want we wanted yeah. it to. He's like, oh, of course, sir. We. So the whole time it feels like Steve's obviously rooting for Wonder Woman. He knows this mm-hmm. fight is wrong. He doesn't want to do this. Right. Uh, and meanwhile, we've got all this art here. Uh, there's the... the there's that there's a great page where it's like four horizontal panels where it's the explosions of the artillery at the top and then there's just like the smoke clearing as a silhouette of wonder woman running through it but then by the time you get to the bottom panel it's the flashback diana who's running towards the the camera as it were mm-hmm. and with a battle cry and that leads us there's it it a lot of really neat transitions from the flashback story to the present day story uh, it's really just top form stuff. So not only is the line work and the expressions and the compositions all great, yep. the sequencing and how it's like going between the, the two stories that are interweaving are very, very good. Um, mm-hmm. And here's the beauty of it is that obviously you get why, okay, this flashback is a, an example of her right from the start of her story not yielding, of like fighting for what she believes in. Mm-hmm. And that would be enough to justify why you have that there. But of course, when you get to the end of the issue, you realize, no, 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 there's another reason why we're, t- we're showing this part of her origin again. There's a very important reason why we're showing you that again. Because when this other Amazon finally takes off her helmet, because she keeps saying, you know, yield, uh, young warrior. Like, you fought well, but I'm about to win, so give me your name and, like, you know, concede. And Diana's like, no, thank you. Uh, no. And then Diana gets stabbed in the stomach. And yep. the other one thinks she's won. And Diana just says, now I've got two swords and you've <laughs> only got none. And pulls yep. out and she has her sword scissoring her neck. I don't know, that sounded bad. But you know what I mean? She's got her swords crossed uh... and she's yeah yeah uh and uh diana says no you tell me who you are i've earned your name and she takes off the final page is this other amazon taking off her helmet and it's emily which i'll admit the name didn't ring a bell immediately but then i realized who this was was this was the one who killed everyone at the start of issue one in the bar the the tall blonde that looks like cassie yeah uh that you know and comes to find out because i'm i'm like is this is this you know philip is is this you know, one of the Amazonians that we're well aware of, right? Yeah, and this yeah. is King telling us a different story, you know, a different part of the origin. So then it ends up being the one that caused the Montana massacre. And I was like, oh, okay. So we're, we're doing thematic stuff here even more. Yeah, and we're doing you know? a big reveal here. So, okay, so this is someone from Diana's past. Yeah. This is the warrior she fought in the tournament. And, you know, I don't know if what she's doing now directly ties back into this past. Maybe she is better that she lost and that Diana went off and became the Wonder Woman. I, I, You know, it's hard to say at this point. Or maybe it's just a connection where they cross paths before and it'll become relevant, mm-hmm. like what her motives and all that are now going forward. Uh, but that was a great reveal at the end. It was a great sort of full stop to the issue. 
Um, that's something that both issue one and two have had is just fantastic structure and build into a climax yeah. where you feel like you've got this full satisfying like point by the end. And the then pacing not- of the issue is very handled very very well. Yeah, and then you've got pages where Diana's like slamming a tank into another tank, and it's like a full page spread. <laughs> yeah. And it's Ugh, it's glorious. So good. And then you've got Steve smirking as Steel realizes that he's losing. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, you know just little moments of enjoyment. Or is a, there's a a panel where there's machine guns firing at Diana, so they've they, you know Sampier's drawn all the arms moving quickly and all the the deflecting bullets happening. Right. So it's just there's just pings everywhere. Uh, all very good. Uh, it's all just super exciting. Uh, just as I'm going through the the issue now, talking about it. I noticed that, again, the way that the old story and the, the the present day story are mirroring each other is the panel where Diana gets stabbed in the stomach, mm-hmm. the panel that's right next to that in the present day side is Sergeant Steele smiling because he thinks he's winning. And that's just a mm-hmm. neat bit of like, you know, it's like even the part where Diana looks like she's maybe going to lose uh-huh. at the same time. Um, right. And it's like he's reacting to that fight rather than the one that he's watching in front of him. Uh well- so. And what part is it where he has his hand in his pocket, right? And then he looks down and realizes, you know, she's the reason that he's missing his metal hand. Uh, yeah, that, that's fairly early, actually. That's when yeah, Steve that's first early. talks to him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like that thing too because that was, you know, that just shows his pettiness. You know, him going going that far. Yeah. Um, Another great bit of mirror in here is that yeah, mm-hmm. when Diana like gets the uh, the second sword when she pulls the sword out and uses that mm-hmm. as a weapon against her opponent, okay. like she's doing the exact same thing in the present day but using the weapon against the enemy is the tank. Mm-hmm. But in both right. examples, she's using the other person's weapon against them. So mm-hmm. the mirroring between them is fantastic throughout. Yeah. Uh, really, really good. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, yeah, and that panel where Steve's smiling because Diana's one is mm-hmm. uh, is actually the last page. It's right just before the, the Emily yeah. reveal at the, at the bottom of the page. Uh, wonderful stuff. I also have to mention some of the narration here. Uh... Like, this is clearly someone talking to her daughter. Like, there's a couple of yep. lines uh, referring to Diana as your mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, very good. Very, you know, just intriguing to think about. Uh, well, yeah, because we had we had the... The the narration last time was from uh, that, that King character. The Sovereign, I believe. The Sovereign, there we yeah. go. Yeah, so, the Sovereign. Is he and trying so to here... manipulate Wonder Woman's yeah. daughter? in the future is that what's happening here which then also tells me that to fight despite you know whatever happens at the end of the story he must still be around or a version of him mm. is still around later through you know yeah yeah to dr trinity um or it could be maybe it's somebody else i don't know someone that was you know maybe it's steve talking to talking to her um because is there a bit of sinisterness to it as as he's talking, as whoever is talking to Trinity. Yeah, yeah, okay. it, it definitely sounds like it's someone who, well, obviously he's not playing down the strengths of Wonder Woman as he talks mm-hmm. about her. Okay, does seem to does seem to have a critical viewpoint of her, okay. or at the very least a a dislike of her. I guess okay. we'll say. So then maybe it's not Steve. I don't think you know? it's Steve. I mean, no. I'm assuming it's the same narrator as last time. Okay, but maybe, maybe we'll find it otherwise. But I, I think it right. will be. I feel yeah, like just I feel like if it was a different, um, it'd be different boxes, right? It'd be different boxes, but they also right. I think would have revealed who it was by the end of the issue if it was a different person. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, 
Because then what do you do? Do you re- If you reveal it a few issues later, then you go, well, when did it switch? Kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, no. Excellent stuff. Uh, gorgeous from start to finish. Excellently paced. Uh, it's such a strong character study issue. Uh, great action, but it's always telling something, and then it has that great cliffhanger uh, of revealing that, okay, this is the, the murderer, this is the person who's going to go on to do this massacre. And then you have the backup, which, uh, you know, hopefully you read this before Amazon's attack, because this was a little mm-hmm. prologue to, to that mm-hmm. book, uh, the backup, this issue, uh, which is a woman who, possibly an Amazon, but possibly not. Yeah. Uh, admittedly, I'm, I'm, t- I'm bringing some knowledge from Amazon's attack into this, but right. we see this woman uh, douse the outside of a gas station with gasoline and then set it on fire, blowing up the whole place. Uh, and this is Josie Campbell and the artist yep. uh, from Amazon's Attack doing this short story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this wakes up one of the uh, Yara's tribe. Right. I'm forgetting their name. Escasita. Thank you. Uh, yep. The prophet from her tribe talking about how there's 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 like a great fight coming. Uh, all the Amazons are going to die, and uh, she collapses. And there's just a little cliffhanger and a tease for for Amazon's attack, which is effective enough. The only critique I'll have here is that the woman who blows up the uh, petrol station, Mm -hmm. um, like, I was genuinely not sure if that was meant to be Nubia because she had very similar hair. very similar, and they're whole, and they're also up in Canada though. So I was like, "What's Nubia doing up in Canada?" Yeah, like, is she in, is she investigating? You know, does she think that that Emily went across the border uh, from Montana up to there, or or what? And then it, she ends up, you know, it's clearly not her. So, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's it, a minor quibble. It's it's just such a strange choice because. Obviously, in Amazon's attack, it makes it very clear this wasn't Nubia, right? right? And if you look at them side by side, you can see how they're drawn differently. But it's the sort of thing where if this was just like, you know, a new artist drawing the same character for the first time, this could be how right. they draw that character. Because, right. you know, the, the key features are pretty similar. So right. just a really weird choice. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, only, the only thing that maybe says it isn't her is that, uh, you know, she's got regular street clothes on. But even then, I was thinking... What if right. this is someone who's trying to look like Nubia to in- incriminate her? You know, like it's not really her, but you know, right. but that doesn't seem to be the case. Like no, no one mentions in Amazon's attack that this woman looks like Nubia. So right. I, I think she's just meant to be a different woman with a very similar haircut, which you know, right. fair enough. But oh well. Anywho, mm-hmm. uh, so it's a little tease. We'll, we'll talk probably more about this in Amazon's attack. Uh, but before yeah. we move on to that, what are you rating Wonder Woman issue two? So, so if it wasn't for this backup that was tacked on in there, th- this might have been a ten. <gasps> right, but because of the presence of the backup, I have to give it nine point five. Okay, um, I think I'll also go the nine point five. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really dropping it because of the backup. I think the backup's yeah. innocent enough. It's a nice enough read for what it right. is. Uh, but yeah, it's all about the main story here, really, mm-hmm. uh, and it's phenomenal. Uh. Like Tom King's outdoing himself with this one, so he's. I feel like whatever the the. I feel like he needed to to write the the story that we don't talk about to get all the negativity out of his system. So you just keep telling killer story after killer story, because <laughs> I can't tell you the last time I haven't enjoyed a Tom King story. He was in Crisis. Pro- well, no, maybe Batman Catwoman was. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that had some mixed you know parts. What? But that had some that had some promise that eventually felt you know petered out. 
Yeah. Um, but that that was but, like yeah. t- that was technically the end of his Batman run, which was already right. in a weird place. So that it was kind of destined to maybe not yeah. work as well. But yeah, he's just working on all levels here. Yeah. Okay. Amazon's Attack issue one, Josie Campbell writing with Vasco uh, Georgiev or Gorgiev. 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 Yeah, if, it, if it's like the the you know um, the old goalie for the the Rangers, it's Georgiev. Of course. So, of course, that's why you have a, an idea how to pronounce it. It was. Uh, oh, the only reason I know how to pronounce certain Russian words is because of hockey. 100%. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so this is Josie Campbell uh, and artist that we just mentioned. <laughs> so this is very much a complimentary book to Wonder Woman in that it's set in the, the continuity. You know, the book starts with news reports talking about the massacre, the West Billings mm-hmm. Massacre, they're calling it, and the political climate with uh, the Amazons being, like, you know, expelled out of the country. And... Uh, I actually appreciate it as well that there's a, a, a reasonable amount of recap uh, on the title page. There's, you know, it recaps what happened to Wonder Woman 1 with the massacre, which is good. But there's even a nice little thing here where there's like, um, just little recaps for all the recent things that have happened with Wonder Woman. So it mentions, okay, mm-hmm. Hippolyta died, it mentions the coronation of Nubia, and points out that she's the leader of all the Amazon tribes, not just the mm-hmm. Mascara. It was a nice little recap page. Like, I really thought this was a good idea. Uh, because, you know, I'm yeah. co- I'm coming into this, you know, as someone who, like, really likes the Wonder Woman book and didn't like a lot of those tie-in Wonder Woman things that's been happening over the last year or two. So mm-hmm. this was, and I, I like the writer of this book, which is why I was giving it a chance. So it was really nice just to get a, you know, a nice quick recap of, like, here's the important details that have changed in the last couple of years. Uh, now you can go. Uh, so, yeah, it, it starts off with uh, the Amazons telling Nubia about this attack in Canada. Uh, and they've got, like, a hologram of this woman that was caught on camera uh, mm-hmm. who specifically wore a W, like Wonder Woman symbol, uh, mm-hmm. on her shirt to, uh, I don't mean something, I guess. Uh, but it's like, hey, so now there's, like, these copycats that are claiming to be Themyscarin, whether or not they're actually Themyscarin or Amazons is, you know, mm. up for debate. Because they, they specifically say this woman isn't. They say this woman's not an Amazon. But she's making it look like this is another Amazon terrorist attack, uh, which after the massacre is obviously going to rile people up. And right. this has already got talks of Canada doing the same as the US and uh, deporting any Amazons that are in Canada. So mm-hmm. that's public opinion starting to spread. It's not just the US. So... That's a big driving force of this issue. Nubia is going to go meet with the president of the mm-hmm. US to try and like sort something out uh, peacefully. And she's going to go on her own, which does not please her girlfriend very much. No. But she does go. Uh, there's there's dual protests outside the building. Some who are there to support Amazon. Some who are there to, say, get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a character who I think is supposed to be unsuperpowered Mary Marvel who like sort of says hi at yeah. the window I didn't get that in the moment though because you know when she's a civilian there's nothing about her that's distinct <laughs> she just looks yeah. like a, you know, a normal you know teenager like a, yeah unless she's doing the Power Rangers thing where she was wearing red with yellow yes you know? yes that would have told yeah. me there's a reason why yeah. that color scheme bullshit works yep for sure <laughs> it's a shorthand uh, but once she's in the building a mysterious cloud starts to possess all the the secret service and security guards and they all start attacking her um and that's when the amazon from the third tribe who i can't even 
It, yeah. uh, she's the queen. Um, I can't remember. Or queen Faruka from the Bonham McDowell, right? From which, the Bonham McDowell, yeah. Right. And so we learned, I remember from reading when I was still reading Wonder Woman, right, is that the, the Bonham McDowell, are, they actually take in regular women, right? Mm. So they're one of these, the tribes that they, they get built by accepting others that come and find them, right? Which, yeah, um, which is cool. And they, they bring that up here. Um, yep. I actually really enjoy this idea of the three different tribes and them interacting here. I yep. think I think it's a fun concept, even though I'm not as familiar with all these different tribes immediately. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, then Yara shows up as well. So we've got a representation from each of the three right. uh, Amazon tribes. Yara's here because obviously she was sent because of those visions that the, the other women... That the uh, prophet yeah. had. Yeah. So that ties into that little backup from Wonder Woman nicely. Um, and then they all go diving out the window. Uh, there's a great two-page spread mm-hmm. of them falling at the top of this uh, skyscraper. Uh, and luckily, Mary Marvel swoops in and grabs everyone, mm-hmm. and that's how she gets involved into the story. And the way it's just it's connecting her to the story, and I'd kind of like forgotten this, or only vaguely yeah. knew this, that her powers are kind of separate from the rest of the Shazam family now, because now she's getting still powers of the gods, like Billy does from you know mm-hmm. those characters. Is yeah, yeah. But she's now getting powers from all of the gods of the Amazons. Uh, she's right. now taking her powers from them. So hers are kind of separate. She's got she's got the, the female equivalent of the Shazam mm-hmm. powers. Uh, right. Uh, which seems to still effectively you know, give her the same things. But... Yeah, it was the same, yeah. I'm sure it's still strength and wisdom and all, but I'm sure they've worked out the letters to, to stand yeah. for different goddesses. Um, which I do like because now it makes her part of the Amazonian thing too, as well, because yeah. they're pulling from her, from their gods. Um, and also, we, we like Josie Campbell writing Mary Marvel, so we I'm do. Never I mean, that was that. the main reason why I was excited to read this mm-hmm. book was that I liked that many with uh, Mary Marvel so much uh-huh. that this and yeah, this this feels like a fun read. It, it flowed just mm-hmm. as well as that book did, yep. uh, especially once the characters all started bouncing off each other. At this point, where yep. you know the rabbits chiming in. Uh, Mary's reminding Yara that uh, Billy asked her out on a date. <laughs> yep. And Yara's well, and also the, the idea it. that they can also hear the rabbit. Yes. Right? It's not just for Mary now. So I, because, I like that. Because too. it's Amazon power related. Right. They can now hear it when before mm-hmm. no one could other than Mary. Right. So fun stuff. Um, and then they asked to, to get the rabbit to teleport them because the police mm-hmm. are all starting to like aim and take shots. Mm-hmm. So the rabbit teleports them with to Times Square, and they rightfully criticize this because he says yep. this is the furthest away place I thought of. And uh, like, you're still in the U.S. You, you couldn't have thought yep. of, you know, nope. Paris or you know, <laughs> Australia, you know, somewhere else in the planet. But this this is what you thought of. Uh, but the issue ends with them all standing in Times Square as there's news reports all over the screens in Times Square mm-hmm. saying that they are wanted. That th- to the media this looked like Nubia was a, trying to attack the president because this mm-hmm. fighting was happening when she was going to meet the president. So now it's like, no, no, these Amazons are all war criminals now and they're all trying to start a war. And Nubia is pissed because she was saying all this issue. She was going to try and do this without starting any war. This was meant to be peaceful. Right. And some third party has made them all look guilty of trying to start a fight. And yep. now they're in the shit. So. And, and yeah, so the idea of the, the title, Amazon's Attack, because... They've done that title for a bunch of stuff, and it's usually like the mascara invading or, you know, 
I was thinking this actually because uh, mm. that title like you say has been used before that yeah. the Amazons are a bit hypocritical right yeah. whenever you start a Wonder Woman story right, it's always uh, uh -huh. the world of man's awful and they're always warring with each other and it's all yeah. fighting so I'm like you know what the more we read about the history of the Amazons and all the fighting you guys have been involved in the less mm -hmm. I'm convinced that you're any better really like, they couldn't <laughs> even get along with one another that's why there's three tribes exactly yeah yeah you know but I do like the title stems from this incident at the end where it seems like the Amazons attacked the US president it's a lie this is it's going a political on. lie yep. it's uh so, it's gaslighting the nation is what it is yes yeah so but yeah um Really, really enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. It's, right? Like, yeah, it's it's interesting because you know Superman in the past is like he's this immigrant, and we've mm -hmm. dealt with stories. Some of the best stories with Lex or him kind of trying to make the public think he's he's bad, and it kind of mirrors mm -hmm. the demonization of the other. And I think that naturally extending to Wonder Woman with this new Tom King run makes so mm -hmm. much sense because Wonder Woman's people still exist and are still a whole, mm -hmm. effectively a nation that right. can be demonized well, as an entire group so i think using a, a, a group of people who are actively still a big group of people that are there to interact with and there's victims of deportation and this mm -hmm. hunting that's going on like it all just works together really well well and we're seeing the outside world start to get into themiscira right because they have all those boats for the the press corps surrounding the island we saw that yeah yeah I think that was in this one. That was either in this yeah. or the backup. No, it was this one. Yeah, yeah it was. Uh, this one. There's like a perimeter of like all these like yeah. navy ships that are just sort of like right. monitoring the island. And, it's and like, so, and so, you know, you're not even he hidden anymore. You know. Yeah, and so now that that's bleeding into their world too. So now this one's coming back out, and you know, there's you know, there's exchange, but not for the right you know reason, and that's kind of the whole reason that Diana left in the first place, right? It was to be this bridge between the Amazons and man's world. So uh, it just it keeps keeps doubling back on itself in the best way. Um, and, and yeah, Josie Campbell really, really adept at, at handling all these different characters. Yeah. I say too. Yeah, I had a good time with this. It flows really well. I think the art's really solid. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, despite not being able to pronounce his name, I, I think it's... Vasco <laughs> Georgiev. There you go. It's a really yeah. clean style that lends itself to uh, some of these characters quite a bit. I think... Um, mm -hmm. You know, Mary looks great. I think uh, Nubia looks great because Nubia's hair is kind of fantastic. Like it's, yeah. it's almost like her cape, right? That's this mm -hmm. long curly hair. It's like this uh, blanket that goes down behind her, and it's very distinct. Mm -hmm. uh, which is why when we see another character with very similar hair, we just kind of naturally <laughs> think, "Is that Nubia?" Um, but it, she does look great. Whenever you get like a nice full shot of her, like walking down a hallway or something, it it, it contrasts. It's like a really nice backdrop to the blue and gold that she's she's typically mm -hmm. wearing so all that stuff looks great uh the action looks good there's some fun layouts there's a there's a page where they're going down like the big stairwell in the skyscraper and it mm -hmm. does this thing where it's got like sort of like weird angled kind of like panels coming in from the sides and it kind of feels like we're going down in a spiral a little bit uh so uh no really good. it's a really interesting companion to the the main book and i think it's interesting that I mean, I don't know if Connor's tried Wonder Woman issue one yet, yeah. but we know that he's not read anything by Tom King in a long time. And I yeah. think it's really funny that he liked that Josie Campbell, Mary Marvel book. So he probably wants to read this, but he's going to start it and realize that it's very heavily, like sort of in yeah. the world that Tom King's created with the Wonder Woman book. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Or, or he can be like me and, you know, you should be proud of me too, is that I didn't read Revenge of the Gods mm -hmm. and, and, and I was tempted to, 
because uh-huh. when, it, when it showed here, that's where we get the Mary story. And I was like, kind of want more Josie Campbell, but also Lazarus Planet. I don't want more of that. So, you we, know, we maybe did Connor... Her. We did her. We did our time with Lazarus yes. Planet, right? Yes, and so so maybe Connor can be stalwart like me and just read this and not the Tom King. But his his stance against Tom King is just kind of cutting his nose to spite his face at this point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like I could get him not wanting to read the mainstream DC stuff. That's fine. But like him missing out on Danger Street, like come on, come yeah. on, bro. Yeah, and I think obviously a lot of the rest of DC is probably never going to mention the current status of like America yeah. versus the Amazons. But I like that there's this second Wonder Woman book now that mm-hmm. can really sort of explore some of the effects of yeah. it. The, the main well, book isn't going to have time to tackle. And this just feels like a mini. It doesn't feel like an event, right? We're not tying in a bunch of other books, right? We're not going to get like Batgirl's Amazon attack. So no, no, no. I mean, it can feel contained. To to be fair though, Great. I don't think it is officially a mini though. It may, it may technically be an ongoing. Really? Yeah, I don't think they've ever said that it's out of six or anything like that. Oh, I just had assumed that was going to be a, a it, mini. It feels like one, but hey, this yeah. might. Assuming they've got an idea of how this is going to tie into yeah. Wonder Woman for a while, this could end up going like twelve issues or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, it just says part one, the Doubting Queen. There's no of anything. Like it being so, tied to a very successful Wonder Woman book may keep it going for going, a while, to be honest. Yeah. Right? It's, well, and also it's, if especially we, if if King's like planning some big kind of, not an event, but some sort of big yeah. part of his run that this can naturally tie in more to. Yeah. They might want to like have it around to well, sell as a second. And then the whole the whole thing that if it's gonna if Wonder Woman's gonna be truly Diana's book, right? This Amazon's attack, or if they ever rename or whatever, this can be the other characters too, right? Like this is where we can get the other Amazons uh, popping up and us getting a piece of that world. So yeah, plus they're doing a good job right now of trying to give all of the major characters or the major families, I should say, a second mm-hmm. book at least, because you yeah. know uh, Flash is getting that Speed Force book mm-hmm. with some of the other characters. Um, Green Lanterns had added the the John Stewart book. Uh, mm-hmm. and that's not to even mention all the Golden Age characters who are kind of like the third book in some of these families. So, yeah. obviously, action, you know, Batman and Superman have always had detective and action as well as Batman right. and Superman. They, they've always got at least two each, but I like this idea of like having the other characters in some of these groups getting a chance to, like, shine uh, with, with, with second books. So, sure, uh, they're not always going to work out and be great, but I think this was a really solid first issue uh, that I'm mm-hmm. happy to... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm definitely down for more of this and I, I think so far it feels like a really nice tie-in to the main Wonder Woman book um, yeah. so uh, good stuff um, yeah uh, what are you uh, rating Amazon's Attack um, I'm gonna give this I'm gonna give it an 8 yeah I think I agree with you I, I think it's a, just a solid 8 I think it's a great little tie-in to, to the main book and uh, like I, I'm genuinely and it's nice to actually I feel like Nubi is a character who's been kind of shafted to me and that almost everything the character's been involved in I've just not liked just because the I've not liked the mm-hmm. writers or I've not liked the, the events that she's been tied to over the last couple of years It's actually, it was actually kind of nice to read the character in this issue and go no I think I actually do kind of like this character I've just never had a yeah. chance to before yeah Uh. so very nice um all right, we'll move on then, away from the Wonder Woman corner of the world. The Flash, issue 2, Legacy 802, Cy Spurrier writing with Mike Diodato, or Diodoto Jr. 
So, uh, issue one was a little bit divisive for us. Um, I liked it a bit more uh, than you, and you liked it a bit more than Connor. Connor was the... Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise. Connor was the, the poo-pooer of the, yep. of the group. Um, certainly, I'll say this. So, the first issue was very oversized, whereas this one is not. This one's a standard-sized comic, which I think okay. does help it a bit. Um, I I will say though I I was feeling a little rough on the first half of this issue, uh. So he's fighting the 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 apes and this sort of like interdimensional alien sort of thing has come out of the the speed force or whatever it is, um. And Wally ends up in one of these like bubbles that, that we saw taking people away last issue, and he ends up being taken to this group of beings called the stillness who look like they're all they're kind of almost flash-esque looking in like a really alien way uh and there's like different colors so there's a couple of red ones a couple of purple a couple of blue a couple of green and they're kind of like ethereal and it's the idea that they're like beyond the comprehension of of mere mortals and humans can't understand what these things are uh, and they take away this other because the alien that came out first was like a sort of traditional looking alien with all these spiky things on him he's very different to whatever these things are whatever the stillness are and okay. they kind of neutralize that alien and they're they're here to do something they're they're here to study a class of entity uh that's incomprehensible to humans and they call them the archangels to which wally says do you mean the archangels is that what you're talking about uh-huh. And they're like, no, <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. So they they mean arc like like the lost arc A R K, no A R C. Okay, but it's like okay. A, the the archangels, and then Wally says but not mean, arch like yeah. you know like Michael and Gabriel. Okay. So basically, this first half of the issue was like, what the hell's going on? I don't understand any of this mm-hmm. shit, and it feels like it's throwing a lot at me very quickly, and I. And maybe if I'd read it right after the first issue, I'd, I'd feel like I'd be more comfortable with the context, but it was really weird to read uh, the okay. first half of this. Uh, the second half, though, is Wally walks home, and there's some, some quiet panels with his family, which I liked. Mm-hmm. And then he wakes up in the middle of the night because he realizes um, basically a pattern to, to what the, the gorillas have been doing. And he, he calls Terrific, and they sort of map out that what they've been doing in these different spots of the city make a big hexagon, and there's, like, one last spot for them to hit to finish the hexagon. And he uh, they, they go to this location to try and intercept the last thing they're going to do. And they get there just at the time that the apes show up. Wally fights uh, this, like, ape. It's, it's not Grodd. It's, like, the second ape in command kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And this fight happens and Wally ends up like using his powers in an interesting way where he doesn't like vibrate to another dimension. He just kind of steps outside of reality. It's like this experience with the stillness of kind of like tapped into something like his connection to the universe is kind of weird and he, he can do this. Honestly, it was all a bit weird. It was, it's, it's definitely thrown a lot at me quite quickly. I think the mm-hmm. art's generally pretty good and I do, I do like the layout style, but I was definitely having a bit more of a tough time getting into the flow of this one and just kind of enjoying the, the, the stuff that was presenting to me. Uh, the end of the issue is that whatever the apes have been trying to do, maybe it's some kind of portal or something they're trying to open, it mm-hmm. seems to open next to the, the Flash statue, which happens to be right next to where Barry Allen's sitting. So Barry uh, pops in at the end of the issue mm-hmm. uh, and that's where it ends. Um, mm-hmm. So it's... Uh, 
I don't know, I'm, I'm definitely a bit more mixed on this one versus the first issue, which is a shame. Uh, if nothing else, I hate being the positive one on issue one when everyone else was kind of mixed and then yeah. feeling more mixed on issue two because it's like, I'm, I'm being yeah. proven wrong here. I don't like that. <laughs> so I, I intended to read this, but I just ran out of time. And with as wordy as the first one was, I prioritized, you know, other books yeah, it's, this it's, week. It's, so, yeah, the first half is very wordy because it's a yeah. lot of, like, talking to these alien dudes and a lot of narration kind of trying to, like, figure out what's going on. The second half definitely quietens down a lot, though. There's a lot more kind of just, like, quiet contemplation. Yeah, there's definitely more of a balance to achieve. I I'm intrigued by what the story's doing enough that I'll definitely at least try a few more issues before I make any kind of, yeah you know, rash decisions. You know, I, I, I do certainly hope, though, the next issue's... But the week's maybe not quite as busy as this one. Um, so there are no updates on what's going on with Jay and Irie in this one? No. No. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, because I, I did have a casualty. I, I was meant to read nine books. I only read eight of those books. But we'll get to which one I didn't read uh, yeah. <laughs> a bit later. Uh, so, yeah, that's Flash issue two. Uh, it's probably like a six. Yeah. Okay. Probably still, you know, still over the halfway point. Like, I don't think it was necessarily a bad issue, but it definitely didn't flow as well, and I wasn't taking in, like, all the concepts in a way that was satisfying to me. So, I'll go with a six. Uh, Green Arrow, issue five, Legacy 338. Uh, Joshua Williamson writing with Sean Isaacs on art. This is the one I didn't read, because I left it to last, and uh, <laughs> when I was reading the book I was reading before this... I was like, like I was actually dozing off, and I had to reread like several pages just to, like, <laughs> because I, and it's just because I, like I just wasn't awake enough. Yeah. So I looked at my last book, and it was Green Arrow, and I went, you know what? I'm calling it here. I've done it enough. You know that that's not unfair. I, I've done that before. Um, you know, my my wife will usually, if I'm reading in bed before, if I'm just if she looks over and I'm still on the same page for like five minutes. She'll be like, put your iPad down and go to sleep, uh -huh. you know, because that means I'm, I'm doing the doze off reread thing. So I, I get it. And I, I don't I don't blame you for not reading this one with how we've been. Um, so uh, I unfortunately did read this because uh -huh. Pete, Pete didn't let me know. And I shouldn't say, unfortunately, I feel like we've used this as a, as a you know, an easy to beat up on book because we're not really enjoying what Williamson's doing. And this book has really been all over the place. Um, but this one has art by three different artists. Oh, we really? Have, okay. Um, yeah. So, and it's broken up. So we got Sean I Isaacs, is that how we're saying that? Uh, and Phil Hester and, well, two. So it's Phil Hester and Andy Parks. Um, but the Isaacs art here isn't as clean and crisp as it has been. Um, there's a bit more sketch to it. Um, so I don't know if this was rushed or, you know. Uh, I mean, having two was, but... extra artists put on it definitely implies that they realized, oh, shit, yes. this won't be ready well, in time. There's that, but the, the Phil Hester stuff, there's a story reason for that. And I'll get to there because that, that comes up at the end. So it kicks off at Legion headquarters with Brainiac reminding Connor and uh, Shoes slash, um, uh, shoot, what was her name? Leon, uh, that, that time travel is illegal, um, but... Connor's like, it's my risk to take. I'm going to go and find my dad. Um, so if you remember how the last issue ended, it was like a Mad Max kind of world with, with Ollie 
right? Kind of old man Ollie going on. He picks up our recent time Ollie um, as they're being chased by these, what look like um, leftover Ninja Turtle villains, right? They're like these, you know, I guess lizards and, and alligators, it looks like, like reptile kind of creatures on dirt bikes chasing them in what looks like the old aeromobile. Um, and they're running out of road, but old man Ollie um, hits a button and it ends up, the, this old car ends up becoming like a hovercraft kind of jet. And he tells younger Ollie that, oh, you know, you should have figured this out a while ago. You know, arrows do fly. So, you know, um, they look in the rearview mirror. They still have these mutants coming after him. Ollie uses one of his boxing glove arrows to which old man is like, oh, man, I remember when I used to be soft. Um, and Ollie mentions that he can see it in his eyes and just his whole demeanor that this is a this is a, a version that's been through hell. So they end up in the arrow cave and it very much looks like the bat cave. Um, and um, the old man tells him to, you know, to take it easy. Um, and Ollie is like, so me losing my family sends me into this place. It, it, it can't be good. Uh, it cuts over to Cheshire or Cheshire and, and Roy, and they're yelling at each other over Leon in that Cheshire says that she knew, right? Cause she works for Waller. Um, but she always held Roy responsible for the death of her daughter. And so she doesn't understand how she got older or where she came back from. But she was like, in, in our line of work, I don't ask too many questions. But I couldn't get close to her because I didn't want to, you know, lose her again. Uh, to which Roy is like, well, wait. But you knew about her, but you didn't tell me. Um, as they're squabbling, Canary whistles to, you know, bring him, bring him in. Um but before Cheshire leaves, she says, you know, whatever you do, don't go digging at Waller. Um, so it cuts back to Wally in his Mad Max world. And all over this this cave, there's like relics to his past, right? There's there's a picture of him holding Connor. There's his certificate to the Justice League. Um, there's a picture of him with the Justice League with an arrow in himself, like like someone has shot at it. There's Roy's bow. There's pictures of, of him and Roy that are broken. And last but not least, there's like, um, again, it's a complete ripoff of the bat cave. There's these glass cases with all of his family's costumes in it. And in the front is Canaries. Um, and older Wally's like, yeah, look, I'm, I'm telling you this to save you from becoming me. You cannot go see your family. Like they are the reason this timeline happens. Um, of course, Ollie pushes back at it, and he tells him, he's like, well, well, look, the truth is, no matter how many times you resisted it, you were never meant to leave the island, right? You were meant to stay there and be miserable. You coming back into these people's life is what sends them back. So, you know, just stay here, stay, you know, and, and we'll prevent this from ever happening. Um, and older Wally says, you know, come here, I found this wreckage, though. We can, we can change things. And it's a time machine. Um, and he he tells uh, our uh, Ollie that he made he's the one that made the deal with Parallax and Amanda Waller uh, to allow this all to happen because he's going to go back in time and change things. So Ollie never becomes the Green Arrow that we know um, because he can't be with his family ever again. As he tells him that, like, we're going to go put you back and you're not going to be with the family, 
old Ollie gets hit with an arrow to the eye. And Ollie goes, man, you know what? There's the funny thing about that island, right? Everyone builds it up as this, this trauma for me. But anytime I needed quiet, I would go back there. I just wouldn't tell anybody. So clearly you're, you're not me. Who are you? Um, and then this is where old Ollie, his eyes light up like a Terminator, right? Uh, and the arrow that's sticking out is showing like, like cables and stuff instead of blood and, and you know, all that type of, uh, of head trauma stuff. Um, and he goes, well, whatever you are, right, if you're a hologram or robot, you know, um, I figured this out. None of this is real. And the old Ollie says, some of it is the best lies always have truth in them. Why can't you just play along? So Ollie and, and this guy um, fight back and forth. But uh, he ends up, the old Ollie, ends up throwing our Ollie into the time machine. And then it shatters, which leads him into Phil Hester art. Which then Ollie's like, oh, I recognize this time. It almost gets a little bit meta. You know, this is from when I came back from the dead. So this is, you know, the era that Kevin Smith was writing on Green Arrow. Um, and an arrow gets shot. Ollie from this time comes down. Um, he recognizes him from this era because of the costume that he's wearing. Uh, asks if he's a robot. Um, and if it's not him, what about these ones? And it's all Ollie's from different eras, right? So you have like the Longbow Hunter. You have traditional, I guess, Silver Age Green Arrow. Right, that looks like Robin Hood. You have the the you know hooded cowl version, um, and they're all coming after our Ollie. Uh, and in order to prove, you know, try to figure out what they are, Ollie fires an arrow, and you know it goes through, and they're normal. So uh, him and the Phil Hester era end up deciding to team up. They fight off some of these arrows, but uh, the the Phil Hester era, the white. He's at the white um, uh, feather in his cap. Ends up shooting our Ollie with this kind of like glowing arrow. And then pushes him off of the the building and says, you know, you're not going anywhere. To where, you know, it says to be continued dead again. Um, so it's a, it makes a lot more sense than some of the other. We're starting to get towards the end where things are coming together. So whoever is behind this uh, era of, of Ollie separating the family... It's, it's all done with the intent of making Ollie miserable. So it tells me it's somebody it's somebody that's close to him. Um, and that... Oh, it's, uh, somehow it's Marilyn. I'll just go... <laughs> right? <laughs> it's Shadow, Marilyn. Right? Like, yeah. uh, but it's someone with enough that, that was able to mess with, with the timelines and alter things and, you know, uh, you know, act as Ollie to make these deals with Parallax and, and Amanda Waller. You know, in order to to make this uh, reality that that never existed. To which point, I don't know. If it's, is it just to make Ollie miserable? Because what does shoes have to do with that? Like, why why has she been shifted out of time? You know, and and aged. You know, beyond that, what does this have to do with Canary and all of that type of stuff? So, um, not a terrible issue, but not a great one. The Phil Hester art really kicks in. But I'm a fan of that style, right? It's got the heavy, heavy line work, very, very chunky and, and pulpy in the style. So we got to that from the Isaacs art that was not bad, but definitely rough, rougher than it has been. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll give this a 6.5.
Okay. The Penguin issue three Tom King rating with Raphael Lee de Torre, or De La Torre, sorry, mm -hmm. on the art. So this uh, we had the first issue where Penguin loses his ship and gets recruited mm -hmm. to work for Agent Lady uh, to mm -hmm. go back into Gotham. Issue uh -huh. two was him forcing the help to mm -hmm. become one of his employees once again. Yep by murdering all of his staff. Yeah. So issue three is him building a team. It's his goons, as it, as it were. And it kind of references uh, what's going on in Batman right now, uh -huh. by saying, yeah, all my old goons are all unloyal. They're all involved in something else. So And I'll deal with them later. That threat <laughs> is terrifying. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh. So he gives a list to Agent Lady uh, of people that he wants. And then the issue is mostly him one by one going to meet these different people and they're all from a team called the Force of July. Now, I'm assuming this is some obscure thing Tom King's pulling out of DC Annals. 100%, and you'll get to them soon, because I looked them up, and they first debuted in the pages of Batman and the Outsiders. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. Oh, awesome. And okay. so they are a patriotic uh, team that were given a power set by this shadowy gover government organization in the 80s. They're called the ASA. It's like the American Security Administration or something. Um, and yeah, so they're, they're all these kind of patriotic uh, things, which if you don't know their powers, it gets a little bit murky trying to figure out who's who. But I do think after doing some research, Tom King did a really good job with their introductions. Yeah. And if you're paying attention, you can really pick apart what these guys are about. I think the first one is the most confusing because his, his dialogue mm -hmm. and narration because uh -huh. you know this follows the trend that this book's had where the narration's always someone else in the scene it's never penguin yep so for all these scenes where we meet all these characters it's all their narration and their individual scenes mm -hmm. so this guy's really confused he keeps saying is that me or is this me uh mm -hmm. and we'll talk we'll talk specific because it, it lists their powers later so we'll just talk about it yep. then but uh yep. it becomes more clear when you get to that point why he's so confused uh, but yeah, so Penguin shows up and uh, says, "You are mine." Like I'm not you, but you are mine. Uh, mm -hmm. So that one's really simple. And then we like completely change color palettes because that's all sort of blue and you know whites and you know, nighttime mm -hmm. and kind of I don't know if it's Gotham, but it looks kind of Gothamy. Oh, they're in Metropolis. Metropolis. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So uh, that's, oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. He can't go into. He can't go into Gotham yet. That's right, because they yep. say in the, the the first scene uh, how much yep. uh, it's the agent lady saying how much she hates Metropolis because yep. you have to just hope mm -hmm. that Superman's busy with stuff to not yep. notice you. Uh, but then he goes to like, the 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 guy in the boxing ring who uh, you know was the guy who had super strength and kind of has the help kind of fight him to prove that he's not as good as he once was. Mm -hmm. uh, but off it says you know you've got some lessons to learn and kind of recruits him. Uh, and then things get really interesting because he goes to someone who, this woman, who clearly is, her whole gimmick was was flowers and plants. And, like, she's clearly kind of lost that a little bit. But mm -hmm. Penguin's pitch is basically like, hey, I know Poison Ivy. I can, I can get you to meet Poison Ivy. Wouldn't you like that? And she's like, yes. And the little reveal here is really nice where her narration is pretty simple as like this entire scene. She's just basically saying, my garden is beautiful. It's luxurious. It's subtle. It's content. It's still, it's all these like positive words to describe how great mm -hmm. her garden is. And then when you get the reveal, when she goes outside, it's all dead. It's all just rotted. Nothing. Yeah. It's like, it's just grass. It's barren. Like it, there's no garden. 
Um, so clear, clearly she's, you know, looking at, looking to tie back her powers maybe right like, and ivy could bring some life into this uh yes this yard, sure. shall we say uh and then we get the drunk <laughs> this woman at a bar who just wants to keep drinking who's cynical and i actually really this one really made me laugh because ultimately because you know penguins basically offering them all something that they need right mm-hmm. and at the end of this scene he, he he's basically just trying to talk to her and eventually she just turns and says I want money. Have you got lots of money, <laughs> Cobblepot? Uh-huh. And he's like, yeah, I do. And that, okay, that's it. All right, that was easy. That, that one was yeah. really and simple. She, she was Lady Liberty of, of it, right? Yeah. Well, we'll get to who they all are because there's mm-hmm. a, the list towards the end. Uh, but the, the final one is this guy who comes home and Penguin's got the, his sister tied up to help pointing a gun at her head. And Penguin explains that he was the tough one because he's the only one who doesn't really need anything. So he's got nothing yeah. to offer him because... You know, he's content. He's living a normal life. He's got a job that he likes. He he, he pays his, his rent. He, he's pretty content with life. So it's like, well, I have to, you know, I have to create something that you need. So now I'm the only one who can save your sister's life. So definitely plays into how much of a bastard and how evil Penguin is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I enjoyed this. Like, I think I enjoyed all these scenes that was introducing these characters. I think I enjoyed each one more than the last because as we were going, they, they felt like they were getting more and more interesting and more specific mm-hmm. as we went. So obviously this guy agrees because he doesn't want his sister to be killed. Yeah. And Penguin just smiles an evil smile and says, let's get it started. Uh, and then we get this great page, which is like a security camera that's watching as they're all coming in and sitting down one by one, this team. And this is where you get all their names and what their powers are. So you've yeah. got Lady Liberty, who was the drunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, she fired psychic energy um, through her Liberty torch. Right. So, okay. Uh, then the boxer was Major Victory, uh, who had super strength and flight. Sounds kind of Superman y, really. Uh, a little bit like kind of Captain America E2, yeah. right? You're adding to that, yeah. Uh, and then we have the guy who was forced into this uh, with his sister at gunpoint as Sparkler, uh-huh. who projected mm-hmm. light beams from his fingers. Basically, the Dazzler, if you're familiar with D- or with Marvel Comics. Yeah. And then you had mm-hmm. uh, the. So the garden lady was Mayflower, uh, who mm-hmm. could make plants and then manipulate them. Kind of Poison Ivy esque, effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have the the guy who was first introduced as Silent Majority, who was someone who could duplicate himself, and only one survived, and like no one knows if that's the original one. So all of a sudden, you think back to his scene and all of that stuff he was saying is, "Am I me? Are you me?" It's like oh, yep. this is some broken fragment of a man who was part of a larger whole, and the mm-hmm. rest of it's all gone now. And I'm like, suddenly, suddenly he's the most interesting one. Like I'm yep. the most excited by him now. For sure, and that's that's also another to bring another Marvel Comics character in. Uh, you have multiple man, Jimmy Madrox, right? Which during Peter David's X Factor, which I'm a big fan of that book, mm. um, the X Factor Investigations era, um, he did this whole arc where Jamie, in order to learn as much as he could, send his duplicates out because when he absorbs them back, he also absorbs the knowledge that they came across. So he sent a bunch of them out to the world to experience things. And, and he gets to one and he can't absorb him back because he's developed a life, right? Mm. And then stuff happens that he ends up absorbing and he gets all of his memories and it's super, super sad. And, and it's like, well, so what if one of those, you know, let's say Madrox had died and that had left him nowhere else to go, uh, that's what you get with the silent majority. It's a very, very interesting concept 
for a superhero book. Yeah, uh, plus there's a Flash villain who's kind of got that power as well, right? Uh, yeah, it's multiplex. Multiplex, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking of. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is almost like a Saw movie, this last little part. And I, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but he's, he's got the five of them there. And like Penguin's talking over the comms. He's like, you want to play a game? <laughs> <laughs> like, no, but he basically says to prove their loyalty, uh, they've all got guns under their, their chairs. And that their mission here is just to shoot the, whoever walks in the door. So they all pick up their gun. They look at this door and they're debating, you know, like... They're debating how they feel about it, uh, and like, oh, this is like the old days where we used to laugh, and you know, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, the sparkler dude, he's like, I didn't laugh, I didn't like this, you know, like we we were supposed to be the good guys, and then the other ones yeah. are quite cynical and say we were never the good guys. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it's it's them sitting there with the guns, and then the final page is them all standing up and pointing the gun. We don't know who's walked through the door. We have no idea who penguins told them to kill. So that's something to look forward to uh, mm-hmm. in issue issue three. Um, I think I appreciate that this was very different from the first two issues. Again, each issue has felt very distinct in its format, whilst keeping that that centralized idea of it's always someone else's narration in the scene. It's never yeah. Penguin. Uh, but this had to introduce five characters, and I think it did a pretty compelling job of doing mm-hmm. that by the end, and then left us on this cliffhanger. So I think overall as an issue, it's really strong again. Yeah. Um, I, I like the part when it's a sparkler and he's he's gone above and beyond. Everyone else is kind of like a sad sack, right? Mayflower wants to meet uh, Pam so she can get her you know powers back under control. You have Major Victory who's kind of like past his prime, living in in the past still. Yeah. There's a, right? He's not as obviously goofy, but there's a little bit mm-hmm. of peacemaker I think yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you have, yeah, of course, Silent Majority. We went, we went through that. And then Lady Liberty, who just, you know, she gives the the poem that's on the Statue of Liberty, but it's all very sarcastic, and you know, there's, you know, just dripping with irony. And she's like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. I, I need money. Uh, but then he gets a sparkler, and he, you know, he's become a teacher, and his a lot of his um, the the narrative boxes are about the stuff that they're going to do in class. Right. And then they introduce the idea that, you know, Cobblepot tells him he's like, yeah, but there's nothing that I could use against you. Right. There's nothing that you want from me. So I had to go and take something from you so you could want it back. Yeah, that, that's that why he's because nar- everyone else's narration is basically mm-hmm. feeding into what they're missing in their life. Whereas he's uh-huh. actually he's just thinking about what he's going to do in class with these kids because right. he, he likes it. He finds it fulfilling. Right. So that's all and, he's thinking about. And the fact that, that Oswald took his sister and basically forces him to do this for her life and stuff. It really just drives into the ruthlessness that it's almost as if they reawaken the monster that is Penguin, right? Mm-hmm. He was he was out living his life, retired, and then they pulled him back in. And he has to remind everybody who he is. You know, it's very monstrous, and King is very good at at you know showing that balance because, like again, all the the narration is from other people. We never know what the penguin's actually thinking, you yeah. know. So it's all very good. And then adding this obscure team that, of course, I could do research on. Always a fan of that. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fun so. learning about weird characters mm-hmm. and teams like this. Um, now, a very intriguing uh, issue, I thought. Um, mm-hmm. uh, book's been really good so far. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, the art, which we've not really mentioned too much, is yeah. is very very good. Uh, it's 
it's got that moodiness to it. It feels kind of like we're in a bleak world, which kind of fits, you know, the penguins' dark underbelly of society yeah. kind of thing. Uh, I think that stuff's really good. Uh, all these characters are very flawed in some way. Either they're depressed, uh, they've got a fragmented mind, or they're a drunk, or they're whatever. But they they all have these kind of darkness to their stories. Except Sparkler, mm-hmm. who also has a dark scene, but it's not because of his life, it's because of what Penguin does to it. Yeah. Uh, he's invaded it. So, um, all very good. The The expressions on the faces are really good. Particularly Penguin, who, when he's getting his way, and he's, like, given that creepy smile, it's very, very effective, so... Yep. Very much so. Yeah. So, uh, what are you rating Penguin issue 3? I mean, it was an 8.5. Yeah, I agree with that. 8.5 is exactly what I had in my mind. Uh, I think, you know, issues 2 and 3 have been great, uh, but neither one has been as almost perfect as issue 1 was, which was like yeah. an astonishing start to the, the series. But excellent stuff, all the same. So, very good. All right. Alan Scott, Green Lantern, issue 1. Tim Sheridan writing with Cian Torme on the R. So, uh, this is the third of these Golden Age character minis-slash-ongoings. Mm-hmm. They're, they're a bit vague, again, as to whether or not these are ongoings or minis. But uh, I was very excited by this. Uh, I, I thought it would be a really cool thing to get more about Alan Scott. And they are doing some of the origin stuff here, seemingly, uh, with mm-hmm. telling these stories via sort of flashbacks. And basically, in 1941, uh, he's being blackmailed by hoover uh-huh. uh because he's got photos of alan with a man from his time in the navy and he's, he's using that to get him to do what he wants which is basically just to like hey go play nice and be part of the jsa mm-hmm. and do like pr and stuff like that uh don't be this loner off doing your own thing and it's, it's holding this against him so it's bringing in this you know this this thing that's been a relatively new creation which is that alan scott's this gay man which right. is a really interesting spin on the character, especially the time period that he's typically in. It's a very uh, unwelcoming time period, shall we say, right. for, for that type of character. So seeing that explored a little bit and seeing the flashback to him with his, his, his secret boyfriend in the military, um, and then that tying into the origin, because you know, they're engineers trying to build this containment thing for this so-called crimson flame that they're looking for out in the ocean somewhere. Which is uh what what the the backstory is all building up to. There's a little bit of present day stuff with, as well uh, with uh, Alan getting involved in this uh, tragedy uh, where he ultimately finds that this guy appears again, um, and everyone else around him seems to think that there's another Green Lantern because they all think he was yeah. already at the scene. They say, "Hey, you were already mm-hmm. here two minutes ago," and he's like, "No, I wasn't. I just got here." Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting little thing, and that intercuts with them trying to contain this crimson uh, mist in the in the past. And it as soon as they do it, though, it's like it has a mind of its own. It gets angry and it starts to capsize the ship. So Alan's trying to like let it back out again to to sort of free it, and uh, it captures his boyfriend, and that's kind of like the the cliffhanger of that part mm-hmm. is him getting dragged away. And then there's a wild thing at the end of the, the issue where. It turns out in the very present day, whoever present that is, it's Alan Scott and Arkham being strapped to a bed and getting electrode treatment. Yeah. And they talk about conversion, so I'm sure it's going to be 
a conversion therapy thing. Yeah, related to right. his uh sexuality. Um, yeah. I, I conceptually I like everything this, everything this is doing, mm-hmm. and it typically looks quite good. I will admit though, I do find the writing to be a bit wordy, particularly yep. particularly the narration boxes. I feel like some of those pages I would turn, and you'd have a narration box with what feels like you know, a, a big paragraph in one of them. Mm-hmm. And I'd feel like I'd be sitting there reading it for quite some time. Well, and it's doing a lot in, in a small amount of space, right? The yeah. whole, there's, there's four, almost four different things going on at one time where they, they also refer you back to one of the pride specials where the, the crimson flame stuff came from, which, which is um, fine. Like, you know, it's just, yeah, like, but that, like that teased the story and this is fleshing it out. Like that's right, fine. Right. And that's all fine. Just, I almost just wish we could have just gotten a, a chunk of, of the stuff in the past and then play up more towards this, you know, him him realizing about the stuff coming back to haunt him more towards the back. But I really like him being in the, the, the engineers, right? And it was almost his kind of first superhero mission going and dealing with this Crimson Flame, um, you know, because he got recruited into it. And it's based off of his character of, you know, not not character in that way, but like his, his moral character that he's smart because when it when it goes back to him and his, his boyfriend at the time, his boyfriend was like a baseball player that won a national championship. Um, and he goes, oh, I would talk baseball with you, but you're going to turn everything into like geometry, you know, so it, we get a vibe of who alan scott is yeah and, and he's you very know? scared of being caught uh, with yeah. him he, he keeps saying right. don't do anything in public that would be suspicious and things right. like that and and alan's not wrong because right because that's the picture that they take together right that's the picture that jager hoover uses to to blackmail him into doing what he wants to right which i'm also a little bit confused why alan doesn't want to work with the jsa right because he's being blackmailed into working with them by hoover yeah, because um, obviously Jay shows up to help towards the yeah. end of the the present or the the 1941 stuff at least, uh-huh. and he, you know, obviously says hi. It's, you know, it's nice to work together. And Alan's a little bit standoffish. Uh, the big thing here though is that there was this red energy in the sky, and when Alan goes up to deal with it, he finds this unconscious man on the roof mm-hmm. that it seemed to have been coming from, and then mm-hmm. it's implied at the end. Uh, when he looks down and properly looks at him, he, he gets this shocked look in his face and says, I hadn't looked at his face properly before. I know mm-hmm. him. And I think the implication is, is that this is his boyfriend from the military right. time. It's, it's Johnny, right? Yeah. yeah. Which, is that, which is an interesting twist. And I, I like the idea of building up to how, like, whether or not the backstory does build up to yeah. how he gets the, the, the green flame. Because, right. um, you know, we're talking about a crimson flame. It's not hard to imagine that it's going to end up tying into right. where his powers well, come from. And he also hints about the, the train incident, which we know that's where the Green Lantern came from, right? Like, the reason he got recruited into this mission mm. is something that he had done on a train in between Gotham and D.C. and stuff. So, like, we are, we are hinting at this type of stuff to his origin, you know? But I'm also wondering if this ties into the whole Red Lantern the golden age era mm. right with the soviet guy yeah i could but, see that yeah I, yeah because yeah, even mentioned being in like the edge of soviet waters when they're on the yeah. boat so yeah mm-hmm. i think they're intentionally bringing that up to make you think oh hey keep in mind we're in that time yeah. period we're talking about soviets mm-hmm. uh yeah. the color red obviously we, we, we associate with mm-hmm. them um yeah, I I think this is so. So I think the the Jay Garrick book, I think you know, I felt really good about. I think the mm-hmm. Sandman book, I liked the story. Obviously, was mixed on the art. I think mm-hmm. this is one where I like the concepts. I think the art's 
solid. Not not not, not blowing me away, but you know, I, I enjoy it well enough. It's not it's not turning me away from it. Uh, but the the writing style and how big some of those speech bubbles and narration boxes are, uh, it just feels a bit clunky mm-hmm. in places where there's more concise ways to maybe get these points across that just feel like it was. It felt like a bit of an anchor mm-hmm. around the book as I was reading it, uh, mm-hmm. which is a bit of a shame. I, I was hoping to yeah. to love this a bit more than than I did. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I like it. It is. It is. It did get bogged down uh, by a lot of the narration, and I feel like again, it's it's trying to do a lot in in the small amount. I feel like it should have been paced a little bit better because I like a lot of the content of it. You know. His, you know, his his life as a gay guy in the 40s, right? Like, them talking about that it's a sin and that it's against the law and all this other stuff. You know, it really does make him an outlaw for being who he is. And it has nothing to do with him being a superhero. Yeah, and uh, it is interesting as well that Alan... He doesn't just say that other people will call it a sin. He says it's a sin. Yeah, he himself yeah. calls it a sin. So that, right. that dichotomy of, like, his beliefs that mm-hmm. he's grown up with and that also this life that he's leading and how he feels mm-hmm. about people is an interesting thing to explore. So, um, well, and, and we know he ends up having children, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, he, he ends and up. So in he a... tries to hide it, you know, for longer. So maybe that's where we're going with the conversion, right? Where he tries to repress this part of himself. Yeah. Yeah. Possi- for, the, for the worse. Possibly. I think so. this, this story deserves to be told and it absolutely has mm-hmm. a place, but to be fair, I don't, I've, I I think I've only tried things that Tim Sheridan's written before and yeah. I've never stuck with them. I've, I don't think I've ever liked mm-hmm. his writing style, sadly. Yeah. So this, this may just be a case where I just mm-hmm. don't like the creator on it and there's not much yeah. I can do about it. Yeah. Yeah, because again, there is a way to do this and I just feel like it's a little bit clunky on, on delivery, but um, I'm still going to keep checking this out because I, I need to see where this goes, the, the Crimson Flame and that last page uh, specifically because the fact that He's in Arkham. It's not just any, you know, mental hospital, right? Yeah, like, yeah I think I said that when I brought up the... Yeah, uh, no, you yeah, did. Yeah. But, like, but just the point that it being Arkham and what we associate with Arkham, you know, like, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah it, is, it is quite sinister to think that Arkham used to do conversion therapy, you know? It's mm-hmm. like, not that we think of Arkham as this great, you know, n- you know yeah. moral place or anything, but it's, mm-hmm. it is really an extra layer to go, no, no, it, it used to straight up do conversion therapy, yeah. Uh, back when being gay was just straight up illegal. So, mm-hmm. uh, very interesting to see. Uh, like, I'm kind of interested in seeing where the story goes, but at the same time, it was definitely one of the weaker things I think I read this week. Yeah, I'll agree with that sentiment. Yeah. Uh, what are you rating Alan Scott Green Lantern? Uh, I'm going to give this a seven. Yeah. I think I'll go... I, th- I think I'm in more six territory. I, I think okay. I-, I wish I liked it more, but I-, I think it's a six for me. So that is Alan Scott, Green Lantern. Power Girl, issue two. Leah Williams writing with Eduardo Pansica on the art. You read this, Matt. So uh... I-, I did. Um, so the last issue ended with that, that guy. I think his name is Amalak, the space pirate, you know, being, you know, them teasing that he's going to be a constant thorn in the side for Power Girl. Um, this issue starts with, uh, Kara, Kara, Paige now, um, working for the, the Daily Planet for Lois. And so this was on me having a misunderstanding of her Dr. Paige Stetler, right? 
Um, I thought that they were going to, you know, she was going to be this, this tech person, you know, working on that side. That's what she has her doctorate in and living with Omen and stuff. Turns out she's like a reporter that, that reports on tech for the daily planet. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit wonky, um, with, with what they're doing here with the whole idea of her being a doctor, but also writing this article and her having, you know, realizing that she's not Lois or Clark. Therefore, you know, she has to work extra hard on writing. So it, uh, it opens with her at the Daily Planet talking with one of the interns who is completely, like, intimidated, but not in, like, the scary way. Just like, oh, you're Dr. Paige Stetler, uh, and I'm an intern, and, and I want to help. And, you know, her trying to find this line of, like, I want to do good for the intern, but I don't want to use the intern too much. Uh, and, and Paige gets called into Lois's office and, you know, it's like, Hey, we need to figure out what's going on, you know, with, with those space pirates and, you know, the, the benefit that you're at, but also, uh, Clark wants to know how come you haven't, you know, investigated this, this thing in the Bahamas yet. Uh, and Paige tells her, you know, well, you know, I am trying to live my life. Right. Um, and I, I have to do things at my own pace. And Lois is like, all right, yeah, you know, that that's fine. But, like, you know, not that Clark would be disappointed, but this is something, like, that with Blue Earth going on, the last thing that we need to do is, like, this Kryptonian-based virus taking over people. So if you could, like, get a step on it, that would be great. Um, the piece that, that Amalak had, had stolen from Kara from the Benefit ends up taking him over, and it's, like, almost like this weird brainiac thing where it, it looks like a, a organic piece but it ends up jumping into him and completely like taking him over kind of star style without like being on his face uh and so he decides he's going to come back to earth and, and deal with Paige herself um page heads to the the old fortress of solitude well, it's the old the new old fortress of solitude um that that Clark had when when Bendis was writing him, right? We got out of the Arctic on and, the uh, Bermuda Triangle. Yep, yep. Into the Bahamas, right? Mm. To to start investigating this, and she starts having flashbacks to the the Symbio ship, and she's worried that all of those false memories are just that they are false, and she's still having this this issue with who she is, regardless of her relationship with Omen and Streaky. And earlier on in the book, we see their you know. Their, their roommate life and her saying that Shriki only likes her because, you know, he feeds or she feeds him. Uh, and I was like, well, that's not entirely true, but, but you know, kind of true. He is he is kind of his own type of person and um, or his own type of cat. Right. Like he's there's something about him that is special. Uh, and so when when Paige gets to the Fortress Solitude, she sees all of like the, you know, like the zoo that was there. And there's this old, like, alien lion creature. And uh, the robot there, I think it's Akilix, is, is telling her, like, yeah, he really is the last of his kind, and he's aging out, you know, so when he dies, that's it. We're just trying to make it comfortable for him. And and Paige looks at him and sees his actions. It's like, oh, yeah, I know someone just like that. Right? So they're, they're tying her affinity for Streaky with this, you know, creature. So I'm sure, you know, she's going to befriend this creature over time. And when it dies, it's going to be super, super sad. Uh, but as she's in the the fortress, Amalak shows up to attack, and they end up having a fight. Um, 
and I'm trying to pull up the last page. Um, but yeah, they end up having a fight um, because he's powered up by this. Um, he's end up oh, so they're actually not in the Bermuda. I lied. Uh, she ends up going after the um, after the fortress into uh, one of the islands where the infection is starting to spread, and she ends up meeting one of the locals there. Um, and it's there that Amalak sees that, that he's talking to, she's talking to this local. That's where he attacks. Um, she ends up fighting back, uh, and Amalak ends up, you know, being able to kind of regain control of himself and says that he's after you before plummeting into the ocean. Um, I like Leah Williams a lot. I just feel like between issues, there's a lot of stuff that's going on that's not entirely clear. Um, but the main story in and of itself is, is pretty, pretty good. Um, cause I'm enjoying her giving, giving Paige her own, you know, personality. That's just beyond being another Kara from a, an alternate earth. Right. She, her, her questions on who she is because of the symbiote ship. Um, you know, that, that really adds to, to, this whole her this whole thing of her not knowing who she is exactly and still trying to figure it out uh, and her uneasiness around the super family. Um, uh, the artist is pretty solid. There's a couple of wonky faces throughout, but it's it's usually when they're doing like close-ups and they're kind of out of proportion. Um, but the rest of them, like the the shadows on a lot of the characters uh, by Pensika, it's typical uh, of what we've seen out of that art at DC. You know, it's kind of that house style. But it works. The layouts I like a lot, uh, especially when the action sequences get going, and like the um, when like when Streaky wants to be fed, the look on his face. It's and if you have a cat, you know that look, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's held very well. But yeah, it's it's still a book that I'm I'm still feeling out to read. I just like again a lot like the Alan Scott book. There's a lot of stuff that that they're throwing at you at one time. Um, and I feel like if they just take the time and, and piece it out over, it's going to add for a better reading experience. Um, but yeah, so I'll give this a 7.5. All right. Unstoppable Doom Patrol, issue 7. Dennis Culver with Chris Burnham on the art. This was the book that I was falling asleep while I was reading, so yeah. uh, hopefully I took it all in, but we'll, uh, we'll find out, I suppose. Uh, so... We actually finally had a cliffhanger last issue, you know, after most of these issues of this series have been mm-hmm. relatively standalone, all with a few connective things in the background. Uh, the last issue was very much the first half of what the, the Endgame story was, which is the oh, the candle maker uh, using Dorothy yep. to, to come back into the world in some way, along with uh, the, the Emperor dude. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's kind of like where we start off this issue. It, it you know does a little bit of a recap of like some of those core beats from the the past Doom Patrol stories, but quite quickly we're back into this position where it's Robot Man and Niles and a couple of them, um, taking on them. Meanwhile, the Chief and everyone else are still fighting all the the various villains back in the uh, in the mansion. Uh, there is some fun stuff here though with uh, the clue. Like they basically keep saying different colors of lightning because everything yeah. so there, she was firing lightning at them so someone said oh uh you know 
green no more, lightning yeah green blue lightning, lightning. Blue light. yeah. so the, the lightning keeps changing they keep having mm-hmm. to like counter with saying them uh that's kind yeah. of fun although uh, basically the chief pulls the the clue into her head yeah and she, she gets to interact with some of the other personalities so uh, you've read more doom patrol than i have right i'm feeling that this is definitely building on at least morrison's with a lot of the stuff that's happening right like the stuff with dorothy yeah yeah um because of, I, I never uh, got to that stuff in Morrison's okay. run, but that is definitely some of the, some of the right. bigger stuff later on, I think. And then just my vague familiarity with the Doom Patrol and them being pulled into a painting. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's Morrison's run too, yeah. Right. So that's where the quiz comes from. She was the painter, right? And when they escaped, it kind of, from my understanding of reading this, it, that's what turned her into the quiz, right? So she can basically change reality because of that but because the painting got destroyed it sent her into this different personality which is why the chief sauce jane is kind of able to break through to her yeah okay i just want to make sure i I mean i i spent a long time since i read that stuff so i yeah i like i think that's what i got from this issue as well though okay uh, okay i just want to make sure that that's what i was reading because it they're throwing a lot of stuff here that is kind of, not that it's necessary to read the doom patrol but they are playing off of that kind of being familiar enough with with these characters um i, I think you know i said last time that i think issue six was probably the weakest issue of the book so far mm-hmm. just because there was so much going on and so much of it was fighting yep. and i think that extends somewhat to this issue as well is that i think these last yeah. two issues despite the fact that they're the, the big ending it's probably the two that I've enjoyed the least just because it is a lot more going on and less individual focus to really building some core ideas up that gets to pay off. Um, I think if I had just read Morrison's run and I went straight into this, I'd probably enjoy these last couple issues yeah. a, a, a lot more just because just I'd be getting more of the, the things that it's doing. But it is doing a lot of stuff in these last two issues, uh, mm-hmm. for sure. And I mean... The idea of the candle maker, General Immortus, right, becoming this new being, and because it's this egregore thought form and stuff. Again, that's very Doom Patrol. So yeah, I it's do just like, I do like it tying into that. Becoming the new candle maker or merging. Mm-hmm. It's just like they need Dorothy's body because Dorothy's yep. body, you know, she could create ideas with her body, and it's mm-hmm. kind of like tapping into that somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah. But ultimately, it's the quiz who alters reality to, to beat mm-hmm. this new candle maker. Yeah. Uh, and then Peacemaker with his giant mech <laughs> comes in uh-huh. uh, with uh, you know the, like uh, the rest of Amanda Waller's goons, uh, and they basically there's just another and this this felt really like like we didn't really need this part like this mm-hmm. extra action scene for a few pages yeah. where they take down the big mech like I mm-hmm. don't know it just it felt like we really could have just done with like fleshing out the other stuff a bit more yeah taking more time because you have you have Negative Man jumping around with Mento. Right. And I wish mm-hmm. we could have gotten more with that to kind of explain, you know, the reason that Mento's in this tank is because he had pushed too far. Right. And he didn't want to do it again. So this was kind of like his his barrier. And I wish we would have had more time with that instead of speeding through it. That said, I do like the team up of Beast Girl and um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Degenerate. Right. Where he is like, oh, do that thing that you did to me again where you just unleash everything. You know, the, I, the, the thing that I never told you to do so you can go fight these mechs. I do like that because their relationship over the last, you know, yeah. bunch of issues has been nice. Like I, I will say, at the end of that scene, though, it does say 
playing Black Box, the Doom yep. Patrol will return. And I was happy to see that. That makes me mm-hmm. excited that there's maybe plans for more with this creative team. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I have really liked this series. I, I, I like. Yeah. I think the first five issues, I, I kind of loved them, Loki. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just these last two, it felt like they were trying to stuff in so much that by, by not doing the typical arc thing where they were setting them all up a bit more, you know, as a, as a focus throughout the book, mm-hmm. it did mean that these last two issues felt a bit overstuffed and rushed. And I, I just wish that... If we do get more, hopefully whatever their end game is that they're planning, we'll get a bit more breathing room uh, in whatever form yeah. it takes. But uh, I still enjoyed these last two issues. I just don't think that they were as strong as all those like those five mostly standalone issues that felt yeah. a lot more, you know, just well paced, room to breathe, not overstuffed. Yeah. Uh, just well, because we, we uh, spent so much time with. Well, with but also that's that sweet mix of the the. You know, that sense of, like, fun, but also tragedy and heart mm-hmm. that the Doom Patrol tend to bring. It's a really nice balance. Like, I think those first five issues did a really good job of having that in, in good amounts. Yeah. Well, and as I was say, too, the stuff with Velvet and the amount of time that we got for for that to be, you know, the, the Peacemaker story and the Waller stuff, to be kind of tacked on here at the end when we had spent so much time, you know, not trusting all of that. It was just a little bit weird of a choice to do the Candlemaker yeah. ending. You know, instead of teasing that for later. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was an epilogue, though, because the Candlemaker, mm-hmm. uh, in another space between the universes, what they're mm-hmm. calling the Bleed, uh, mm-hmm. that's where they end up, this new Candlemaker. And uh, when they land, they encounter the Batwoman who laughs. I groaned. <laughs> also, uh, they're they're on Danny the Street, right? It it looked like Danny the Street to me, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we did, which by the way, this Batwoman that laughs has like an Infinity Gauntlet on her hand. I just want to yeah. point out. Um, so we did see this character before, right? That that was mm-hmm. was it earlier in this run. Was it in Doom Patrol? I don't think. I don't it was know. Yeah, that's what I was asking. Though. What book was it in? Yeah. Where did we see yeah, Batwoman who laughs before? Oh look, because I remember I seeing her. Yeah, I remember showing up. Was it? It wasn't the one minute war, was it? It wasn't in Flash. No, no, that no. was a different character. No, it might have been in the Infinite Crisis stuff. Um, hmm. um it's it's loading. Yeah, just well, just the what our first appearance is basically just. It was Justice League, in, uh, Justice League Incarnate. So it was Fair the enough. GLI. Uh huh. That's interesting. They're they're bringing her in here, uh, which I I, I you know I agree. I'm not thrilled at the prospect of more yeah. of this character. We don't need more Batwoman who laughs, but yeah. you know, well, I guess we'll see what they do with it. Uh, I mean, the fact that she's in the bleed that that lines up with the Justice League Incarnate stuff, right? It's the yeah. place between. It's kind of a blind spot, and I guess if we're gonna deal with like evil thought form type stuff, Doom Patrol is a proper. I just, you know. like, if we're getting more Doom Patrol from this team, and I hope we do, mm-hmm. like, I, I may be a little bummed out if we're going to, like, yeah. make the main villain of it, the Batwoman Who Laughs. I would be okay with it as if as soon as the Batwoman Who Laughs shows up, Cliff just punches her out and that's it. It's one of those type moments. I, I'd be okay with that. Because mm. I feel like they're playing with our expectations here. Um, yeah, yeah, so... You know, I I think it's it's a fine enough issue. I liked a lot of individual moments, but it's definitely not mm-hmm. as good as the first five issues yeah. by any means. Uh, yeah. All right. What are you rating Unstoppable Doom Patrol, Matt? Um, I'm gonna give this a seven. Yeah, I, 
Yeah, I think it's probably about a six point five for me this issue. Okay. So there you go. Uh, Tales of the Titans issue four, Andrew Constant writing with Ted Brandt on art, uh, and this apparently might be leading into the Speech World stuff, Matt. That's what they want you to think, but they're very wrong. <laughs> I knew, I knew it was a lie. Yeah. I knew it. So, and, and it's not bad though. I just, you know, going into it, it is a good Beast Boy story, and it deals with, you know, the trauma that he got during uh, Dark Crisis of being shot by. Uh, Slade and in here um, there is you know the the you know the angel on the shoulder devil on the shoulder meme right not meme but idea that we get in media um, it's kind of doing that where any time that Gar has a like a negative thought it's coming from a ghostly uh, Slade which is a nice touch right hmm. so um, it, Beast Boy and Raven this is before they're fully moved into Titan's Tower right. Uh, they're they're in the process of getting there, but they decide to have movie night. Um, but before they they do movie night, Gar needs to go out and clear his head, um, and so he he goes out for a swim and he's he's swimming through this lake as a blue whale or some kind of whale, and he's having a hard time keeping bigger, like bigger forms for longer because of all of the stuff that happened in Dark Crisis, so. You know, he goes swimming. Um, Raven's waiting for him to come back for movie night. And while he's there um, and, you know, talking to the, the ghostly Slade, you know, his his negative thoughts, if you will. Um, and him telling him, he's like, you know, I, I took everything from me when I shot you and you'll never be the same. And, you know, Raven notices that you don't need that eye patch anymore, but you just wear it because you, you know, you deep down, you kind of like this feeling of of hopelessness. And as, as he's arguing essentially with himself, this wolf runs up on him and and he doesn't think much of it. And then it changes into a full on werewolf and, and takes Gar down. And uh, it's revealed that like Gar wakes up in this lab and there's this werewolf guy uh, who another one that came from Batman and the Outsiders. Right. His name's, I think, Anthony Lupus. And he was this, you know, athlete, this decathlete that was. Uh, went to the doctor for headaches and unlocked this metagene that turned him into a werewolf. And, you know, but he thinks that through Beast Boy and Beast Boy's powers that he can finally get rid of the wolf uh, because all the wolf has done is bring him tragedy, which is something that Gar had been feeling as well with being Beast Boy. Right. And, you know, he anytime he has these negative thoughts, these people from his past pop up. So, you know, it was, you know, the guy, the doctor that from which he got his powers from telling him that he'll never amount to anything. And then, you know, his dad, um, who I guess treated him badly, which I need to get re re familiar with Gar's origins. Cause I remember what's her name from, from doom patrol raising him at one point, right? Rita and, and someone else. Right. Um, but so it's all these, you know, all these people in his life down talking him and the, the, the werewolf guy, Lupus, hits him with this gas that prevents him from being able to change. Whereas Slade's like, nah, it, there's nothing can stop you. You're beast boy. You're stopping you. You know, he's like, basically buck up, sh- prove everybody else wrong that you're not just this funny, happy, you know, guy that were not that, not that is that prove that you're not this hopeless person, that you are beast boy, that you are more powerful than you give yourself credit for, you know? And so he eventually, you know, transforms, 
and, and ends up taking out the werewolf. Uh, and that's where you get a lot of the tragedy that has become with the werewolf is that, you know, he he changed and, and killed his niece when he was looking for a cure. So he's trying to get rid of it. But um, as, as Beast Boy is fighting this werewolf, uh, it, it's made clear that the wolf is kind of more in control than, than the guy. And it takes on this, like, massive, horrific wolf form. And that's eventually who Beast Boy has to fight. Um, so by the end of the night, right, he gets back home and, and Raven's like, oh, I was getting worried about you. You know, you know, you are who, you know, you're still who I love. And, you know, and he's like, yeah, but something's not sitting well with me about this lupus guy. Like, you know, he didn't have to do a lot of the stuff he did. And he still deserves a chance at, you know, redemption. And I guess a lot of people do. And then that's where it ends. So I was kind of made thinking as I was reading, like, this was going to have to do with, you know, whatever whatever experiment the wolf was pulling out of Beast Boy, that's what's going to lead to the Beast World stuff. But, you know, kind of nothing. It's just, you know, Beast Boy coming to terms with, with what Deathstroke had done to him and basically, you know, him getting back to being his his old self. And giving giving uh, Andrew Constant some credit for for characterization is this very much feels like the the Beast Boy that we got in the Power Girl special, you know, that went to them for the therapy, and almost as a as a bridge to the Beast Boy that we're getting in Tom Taylor's Titans, to where I can very much see after this issue why Beast Boy wants to go back to to Borneo, right, and replant those forests. Um, and then B, you know, we're, we're, you know, as he said in the last issue of Titans, you know, we're always there for the fight. We're never there for the, the cleanup and we, we should be better. And a lot of that came through, you know, this. So I got to give this a lot of credit for, for, you know, actually taking some steps with Beast Boy's character and transitioning him up from what we were, from where we we're at to where we're looks like to be going. So maybe that's how it's the prelude to Beast World. I don't know. Um, but, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. The, the art's pretty, pretty good. Um, you know, a lot, a lot like a lot of these, you know, specials, it's, it's a lot of art. So a lot of the fight scenes, you know, they take up bigger pages to almost to, to fill and stuff. Cause the book is bigger, but yeah, it's a, it's a fun read. I would definitely put it, uh, and out of all four of these, it's probably number two, right behind the Starfire one. Um, with the, I don't know if I talked about the Donna Troy one on here, but that one was easily the weakest. Um, okay. But yeah, but the Raven one was pretty much in the middle. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a real fun story. So I'll, I'll give this a 7.5. All right. And believe it or not, that was the last book of Boom. the week. Uh, it, yeah, so hefty 12 or 13 books there. Uh, so we will now go into the part, final part of the show where we pick our favorite stuff of the week, panel slash moment, cover... Uh, are and of course top five books so matt what was your panel slash moment of the week all right so there was a lot from one woman i could pick from her mm. her hitting the tank with the tank that was that was a lot of fun a lot of the mirroring stuff um but i'm i'm gonna be i'm gonna be a self-parody here and it, it and it, it's superman in the night's armor with the sword i got such a big pop out of, of that of course it is. Uh, so I'm, I'm gonna go with that one yeah, I mean, there's a little temptation for you know the fake Superman hitting a mm-hmm. satellite with heat vision from from Earth. Uh, there's a couple of moments in Detective that I, that I could have went for Penguin. Uh, I am going to go with Wonder Woman though. I'm going to go with 
well, now I have two swords and you have mm. none. That moment That's, spoke that was to me. Good. That, that spoke to good. me. It was a pretty badass moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wonder Woman's got balls. That's what I'm saying. Yes. So, uh, cover of the week. There, uh, there's a lot of books, so that means there's a lot to choose from, and there is a lot yeah. of good options. Um, I'm not usually necessarily into like, Kelly Jones Batman stuff, but mm-hmm. the Kelly Jones cover for Detective actually is kind of cool. Uh, kind of old school Batman-y uh, vibe. Uh, Steve Beach, as per usual, has a great Action Comics regular cover. Mm-hmm. It's uh, very good. It's not one of his best by any means, but I do like it. Uh, there's a Gabriel Delotto variant for Flash, which is kind of cool. He's also got one for Penguin, uh, similar style. Uh, those are both very good. The mm-hmm. main Wonder Woman cover by Sempier is is fantastic. Uh, up to par with that first one. Uh, my pick, though, uh, despite the fact that I wasn't as in love with the book as much, uh, the regular cover for Alan Scott Green Lantern, I think, is uh, very beautiful and very clean. Yeah. Uh, I like it's, it a lot. It's very much, it reminds me of what, like, the Golden Age was. You know? Like the, like you said, clean. It's got the, the, the you know, the color scheme there. Like, the purples and the greens really bounce off of each other. Yeah, and so. just the, the fact that it's not a white uh, blank space at the back, it's more of a cream color. Yeah. Just kind of makes it feel a, just mm-hmm. a little bit more character. I don't know, just it's really nice mm-hmm. overall. So that's my pick of the week. All right, so a lot of the ones that you mentioned, but I also want to mention there is a uh, uh, Alvarez Bueno uh, variant for Wonder Woman that's got her in a black background with the lasso wrapping around her. That looks very, very, very cool. Uh, there's also an Amazon's Attack uh, Mary Marvel um, that's got her with, with lightning and um, almost like a galaxy kind of behind her. Oh, it sure, looks really yeah. cool. She's got a sword there, and a, actually, a there's a cover for action that, like, I almost really like, but there's just something uh-huh. about the face that's a bit too AI looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Supergirl cover. Like, yeah. It like it's like it looks good mostly, but the face is just like, get a little bit too that that, that just yeah. too much of a fake quality mm-hmm. to it that yeah. I, I don't quite like. So, but, yeah. yeah. So I was gonna mention that one too, but then I clicked on it and I was like, from in the thumbnail, it looked okay. Yeah, the thumbnail but, looked good, but then when you see it yeah, bigger, you're like, yeah. ah, maybe not. But yeah. Uh, similar, the, the, uh, there's a Doom Patrol variant as well, uh, which uh, looked very good, except Rita's face at the top kind of let it down, but otherwise it looked mm-hmm. really nice. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, uh, but yeah, this Mary Marvel one is Megan Hetrick. Uh, I like that one a lot. Um, but mine's gonna be the, the Jorge Jimenez uh, action comics cover. Sure. In fact, it is one of my favorite Superman covers in a long time. It's got Lois and Clark flying up, and it's just Jimenez goodness um, uh, up against the moon. And it's got, you know, they're kind of not bathed in the red, right? But uh, they're up against the Superman's red cape. It's just a fantastic cover. Sure, sure. All right, top five books of the week. Oh, no, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. We're do art. Best artist of the week, sorry, first. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um... Whew. Uh, Burnham for Doom Patrol shouts. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Penguin. Uh, I forget that that artist name off the top of my head. That that one was good. Uh, Raphael De La Raph- Torre. That guy. Um, but it's gonna be Wonder Woman. It's gonna be Sam Peter. It's you know. You know. You know. Like Frank Avila might have taken it. Like, but that wonky face. That huh? one wonky face is making me go. You know what? No, Wonder Woman was perfect. It was perfect. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, there was a lot of art this week that I really liked, but yeah, I think I have to give it to Sempere as well. Uh, not just because the, the art itself looks fantastic, but the constant theme of how it was bouncing between mm-hmm. the flashback and the present day stuff in unison, the way it merged those at times, uh, like all of it was just perfect. Uh, it, was, it was pretty much flawless as far as art goes, so uh, that, that's my pick. All right, top five books of the week, Matt. On you go. All right, number one's going to be Wonder Woman. Two is Action Comics. Uh, three is Detective Comics. Four is Penguin. And five is... Let's go. Five is Amazon's Attack. Yeah, my number one is Wonder Woman. My number two... Is... I'm actually a little conflicted between two here. I'll go Penguin for number two, and then three is Detective, four is Action, and then I will agree that five is Amazon's Attack. Mm. Uh, But yeah, pretty strong week uh, overall, even though there's a few books that I gave kind of sixes and sevens Mm -hmm. to. A lot of good stuff there too. So uh, yeah, interesting week. Now we have an interesting week next week because next week is uh, week five. So... Coming up from DC Comics next week, you can get Detective Comics 1076. So, hey, we get the next one of those already. That's fun. Uh, we get Batman, Catwoman, the Gotham War, Scorched Earth, issue one. So, this is the finale of that event. So, oh, well. Uh, we got <laughs> Spirit World, issue six. We have the Supergirl special, issue one. That's Tamaki, by the way. So, uh, hey. Yeah. Uh, there's the Return of Superman 30th Anniversary special, issue one. And there's Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom special issue one. Uh, yeah, well, no one cares about that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think for us, we're looking at... Uh, I mean, you'll probably check out Spirit World because you've been reading that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been reading that. But it's, it's the three books. It's Detective, Gotham, Moore, and Supergirl that I think we'll yeah. be uh, don't, looking don't at. Don't forget to read City Boy. And we'll do City Boy uh, since yep. we skipped that. And yep. I, I would do both my Patreon books next week, but week one after this is also quite quiet, so I'll spread them out. I'll do one next week and one <laughs> the week after. So, what, were you looking confused, Matt? Oh, no, it is. I, I thought there was more underneath, and there, there's not. No, no. Uh, I, I have three books next week and then three books on week one of November. Uh, so, and now technically yeah. someone's going to say, isn't this not week five because technically the release date is mm-hmm. uh the first first of november but no from a calendar perspective and the release schedule it's week five at october i know technically it's november yeah. but it, like it's the week five uh but anywho that's uh that's what's coming and uh, next week so uh by all means let us know what you thought of these books in the comments like subscribe all that stuff on the youtubes helps us out a lot it helps more people find the show find the channel uh it's five stars on itunes or wherever your podcast from that also helps people find the show uh but otherwise though the main thing you can do is go to patreon.com slash tv and support over there for a little bit of money five dollars and up you get early access to the show whenever it's ready and out the oven on the saturday night which could be various times depending on how long we record and so on but you'll get it it'll be the very least there for you when you wake up on sunday you get a, a little bit earlier than everyone else uh you could do that and get a bunch of bonuses for all the other content that are as part of mail fuzz movies and mail fuzz tv if you don't know um i'm part of various movie podcasts that i record with various people uh such as the sci-fi movie podcast uh, the ace the horror movie podcast screams after midnight and the collector's cut which is a movie podcast where we kind of do like you know franchises or 
or seasons of movies from a director or things like that. Uh, and then there's TV reviews over Mailfuzz TV YouTube channel. Um, also, one of the things you might like on Patreon, if you like me and Connor uh, bickering at each other, uh, we've got a monthly video game podcast that we just started a couple months ago. That's also on the $5 tier and up uh, called Fuzzy Casuals. So if that sounds like fun, uh, you can check out that. And that's maybe why Matt, when Connor's here as well, why Matt doesn't have to put up with as much random video game talk is because we've got a different outlet for that now. That's that's good though. I mean, that's that I, I look forward to when we're done asking you about Spider Man. For so, sure. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So you don't spoil things, but yeah. I have nothing left except <laughs> Spider Man. Yeah. Anyway, that's the show. Thank you very much for joining us, everyone. We appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Keep reading DC Comics and remember to never get lost in the Speed Force.